Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. No, absolutely. Um, you know, I think when you when you look at how explosive they are as an offense, uh, they can do it a number of different ways. And, um, you know, wh- whether it's Jefferson, whether it's Cook, whether it's Hawkins, I mean, you just keep going, Thielen. Uh, they're going to find ways to move the ball, put up a bunch of points. Um, you just try to keep the lid on it, you know, not, not give up explosive plays, make them sustain drives. But, uh, yeah, it's a heck, of a heck of a challenge for our, uh, you know, for our defense. Number one, our team uh, earned this opportunity. It's about this team this year and making sure that we're able Able to give them the uh, best opportunity to go out there and put their best foot forward and, and try to go win this Citrus Bowl versus LSU. And uh, the guys are, are very excited about the opportunity. Very excited about the game. It's a big time matchup. You know, it's a January second, but it's a January first bowl game. Okay, anytime you get into one of those, that's that's big time. So these guys, I mean, they are pumped, uh, jacked, ready to play. Coaches uh, that we got remaining, we're all going to give it our all to give them the best opportunity to go down there and win. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, it just kind of happened organically. And uh, when obviously the crossroads shut down and then trying to find opponents right there. We have played Davidson before in Indianapolis. Um, so we played them in Charleston about four or five years ago in a tournament. Uh, very good program. Uh, but no, when that happened, that, that just seemed like the right thing to do for those guys to be able to decline like that. Well, today we're going to start him out on the floor and see if he can go practice you know the last few days he's kind of shot around and done some things and and he's moving around so today we're gonna let him bang a little bit and see where he is tomorrow friday afternoon on the fan brendan king jimmy cook eddie garrison with you in the drivehubler.com studios glad to have you with us to close out the week and you're gonna close out the week jimmy with bowl season getting started, there are bowls. One on right now, I believe, right? 11.30, Miami of Ohio against UAB. 3 o'clock when we get off the air, it'll be UTS, UTSA. The Roadrunners taking on Troy. And then tomorrow, actually, tomorrow is fantastic. The Wasabi Fenway Bowl. That's Cincinnati and Louisville. Not bad. At 11 a.m. from Fenway, you're wearing a Yankee shirt today, so I'm sure you do not care at all that I just mentioned Fenway Park. The disdain is not there as much as the average Yankee fan. Love Fenway Park, historic place. Love any time we turn baseball arenas, stadiums into football fields. I'll tell you what, always good, hyped up for this. Good thing we just didn't go on the air on WFAN, or else they might. Oh yeah, yeah, My disdain I, for the Red Sox I'd is be, not. Uh, uh, yeah, I wouldn't, wouldn't make it out alive, no doubt. <laughs> it's not as bad as others. So big sports day tomorrow. Again, you got the two bowl games today. Tomorrow at eleven starts with Cincinnati, Louisville. Noon, Jackson State without. Actually, Deion Sanders is coaching, I believe. He's coaching in that bowl game. Didn't he say he has to go back and take care of business with Jackson State? We'll have to look that up. Eddie, if you could look that up, that'd be great. Not 100% certain. Jackson State, North Carolina Central, regardless, in the Cricket Celebration Bowl. 2.30, Florida, Oregon State tomorrow, the Las Vegas Bowl. 3.30 tomorrow, Washington State, Fresno State. This is an unbelievable bowl name. The Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl presented by Stifle. Love it. God bless those announcers. If you, Imagine you have to say that every time. Welcome back to the Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl presented by Stifle. Lending Tree Bowl, Rice in Southern Miss, the New Mexico Bowl at 730 SMU, BYU. The night closes tomorrow at 915. Boise State 
and North Texas in the Frisco Bowl. All of that surrounded Jimmy around the Indianapolis Colts taking on the Minnesota Vikings. That is a one o'clock kick on Saturday afternoon football. Kirk Cousins versus Matt Ryan. Jimmy, anything new on your mind as we are about 24 hours from the Colts taking on the Vikings since we got off the air yesterday? I don't believe that the fan Twitter account has released this yet, but we're going to be giving out our score predictions. And I found out I'm always the one that's last for those. I, I always just send them to Nick. He has sent me a reminder text, and I always feel bad because... You're not the only one. And put on your notifications, I know. Boys. I, I need to. I, I need to. Nick's working I, but, hard out but, here. But, but Nick Cotton Jim, the hardest working man around, particularly getting our digital still up and running and taking care of us on the social media side of things, I feel bad on that regard, but I appreciate his reminder. I have a 30-21 to 21 Vikings over Colts, and after I sent that in, Taking a look at the spread, see what Vegas is thinking. Only three and a half point favorites told Eddie Garrison that are the Vikings. And Eddie said that it was four yesterday. So a little bit of movement. That surprises me a little bit. I think that Vegas has obviously taken into account the struggles of the Vikings passing defense. But I think they might be overvaluing the Colts offense a bit to say that's only a three and a half point spread. But what do I know? I'm not an odds maker. I just that's that's my initial gut reaction to that. And it wants me to ponder brendan if vegas is trying to take my money or if they're giving away free money in this situation it's probably the former but what are your thoughts on vikings only being favored by three and a half that's my biggest takeaway right now well there are going to be a lot of people tomorrow or tonight in las vegas that are going to roll up to the westgate sportsbook that are going to roll up to the caesar sportsbook <laughs> sure. that are going to roll up to name any other sportsbook the win i don't care uh that will be putting a lot of cash tonight i would guess on the minnesota vikings and I think Vegas, it's a classic Vegas line, Jimmy. Yep. Regardless of the Colts' struggles, I, I I don't really mean this about the number. I just mean this, that they just put in the hook for the hell of it and they want to screw some people. That's really close to just a home-field advantage line, though, BK. Like, that's right on the doorstep of, of just a two-and-a-half courtesy to, oh, yeah, you're the home team. We're going to make you the favorites here. I don't well, know if that's a reaction to the loss to the Lions last week. I don't know if it is, again, bullishness by Vegas on the Colts. I don't remember what this opened at, so it could also be public money. Maybe the money was too high on Indianapolis for some sharps, and they are uh, sliding in there to put it on the Colts. Opened at four and a half. Okay, so so it's moved a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, that's look, we're obviously going to dive into the uh, individual matchups and how the Colts do match up against a Vikings team that, again, has showed weakness against the past this season. Can the Colts give Matt Ryan enough time for it to matter? That remains to be seen. Uh, we're going to talk to Alec Lewis of The Athletic, who covers the Vikings for the Vikings perspective. Kevin Bowen's going to join us as well. Uh, that's at the top of the 1 o'clock and 2 o'clock hours, respectively. So we'll get a little Vikings and Colts flair. Adam Rittenberg of ESPN is going to join us as well, bottom of the hour uh, in this 12 o'clock hour. And then Jeff Rab- Rabjohn's at the bottom of the 1 o'clock hour, getting you ready for Indiana, Kansas. But yeah, to your question, Brendan, I don't know. The line is very... It's very enticing to me to the point that I'm thinking about right now as we speak, getting in and laying three and a half on Minnesota. I think that hook might sure some people. Buy the hook then. No, buy the hook for sure. Yeah, yeah get but rid of it. How many people are going to have the wherewithal to buy the hook? Not if you're like, if it was me right now, if I wasn't hosting a show and I was just a diehard NFL fan, which I love the NFL, and I was in Vegas to your point, or if I'm sitting at home on a sports book with some buddies you and I see get, that it's three and a half, no. I, oh man, let me, let me please, I'm going to make a deposit and let me get the three and a half, not even worry about the hook. So that is a good point, which why if you're listening to this show, we're advising you right now, get rid of the hook. We don't like the hook, not a fan of it anyway. 
Toss it to the side. Get a little worse odds. Spend a little bit more money responsibly and go get the Vikings. We are in the business of buying the hook. We are also in the business, as you said, of breaking down the matchups. Here's one thing that came to my mind, Jimmy, last night. And I don't really have a stat to to back this up, but it's just more so a visual remembrance. Look, Kirk Cousins has been terrific this year. Kirk Cousins has won the Vikings 10 games. Big shout out to Kirk Cousins. He's been fine. But when you watch the Vikings, at least from the highlights that I've watched this week, when he is put under duress, just like maybe any other quarterback, he's going to struggle. But especially Cousins, he's semi-mobile, but he's not mobile enough to get him out of trouble. The one thing that has been... The positive. The thing that you put on a billboard this year for the Colts is the defensive line play. And they've worked around injuries, but I'm talking inside the defensive line. DeForest Buckner, Grover Stewart, when healthy, Quiddy Pay has been good, but again, Quiddy has dealt with all kinds of injuries. Yannick Ngakwe has been the question mark of the defensive line. If those four are on their game tomorrow and they can at least get to Cousins and do a relatively good job of stopping Dalvin Cook and Alex Mattinson, the Colts are going to have a shot because you're going to have to deal with Justin Jefferson getting his work. We heard that yesterday when we talked on the air. We've heard that from multiple guests this week that Justin Jefferson was getting double coveraged <laughs> over the last couple weeks. Yep. He still finds a way to get 200 plus, right? Yep. So you're going to have to deal with Jefferson getting his getting his work in, just like Steph Curry scoring 38 points the other night. And he's going to get hurt. You allowed nearly 40 to Steph. The Pacers still find a way to win the game. You can allow a touchdown and a lot of work to Justin Jefferson. If you can manage everybody else, you're going to have a shot to win the game. Dalvin Cook, injury prone. Get to him. Make Alexander Mattinson beat you. And then get to Cousins in pass coverage. If Stephon Gilmore and Matt Taylor mentioned that they love to move Jefferson around, so maybe it's not Gilmore on Jefferson all the time, if you can at least manage Jefferson, you got a shot to win the game, Jimmy. Managing Jefferson, yeah, those are those are two keys for the Colts moving forward. I'm sure Kevin Bowen is going to echo that when we talk to him at 2 o'clock. It's easier said than done, but you would assume that Gilmore is going to draw that matchup more often than not, or at least try to draw that matchup schematically, and he's been great. He's been phenomenal against number ones throughout the season. It's part of the reason why we've been so glowing about the Colts defense throughout the year the other point which is fascinating to me we talked about it earlier in the week BK Kirk Cousins just in terms of quarterback hits this is a stat that uh, pro football focus tracks again it's not obviously a sack but it is contact with the quarterback or, or forcing him out of the pocket leads the league with 67 uh, just 33 sacks suffered this year which is I think top it's top 10 in the league uh, top 10 worse than the league Matt Ryan's fifth Kirk Cousins is eighth there's a variety of different pass rushing styles along the Colts front line. Uh, we talk a lot about uh, Yannick Ngakwe. Uh, Usually it's running past the, the quarterback. And then, <laughs> uh, runs back to quarterback, but then, but then makes his way back around, and that isn't always the most effective way to get there. But when we talked about the signing, just you and I off air, and when we were covering the team in general on 107.5 The Fan, main reason you brought a guy like him in is he's going to rack up sack numbers. He's never had a season with less than eight he has eight and a half already this year. Again, these are very empty stats when you look at the team's overall record because the offense has let this team down more often than not this season. So I understand that it's like, oh, that's great that he's good, you know, but they're four. Yeah, I understand they only have four wins. That's fine. But you're looking for areas still in the matchup to create opportunities to pull an upset on Sunday or Saturday, I beg your pardon. 
And he's a massive part of that, uh, along with just in general in the trenches for the Colts. You need a big game here from DeForest Buckner. And if they can win those matchups up front and get to Kirk Cousins, makes life a lot harder. They can also still run the game, though, and the, uh, run the ball, as you mentioned, with both Cook and Madison. And that is even more fascinating to me, BK, because Colts defense, first six, seven weeks of the season, great against the run. Last three or four games, not so much. And the Vikings have a great little thunder and lightning duo there with Madison and Cook. So somebody in the we're on YouTube, by the way, and to be fair, somebody in the YouTube chat said I could be in the dream world thinking the Colts are going to win. Well, you'll see my pick later on at 107.5 The Fan's Twitter. And what I'm saying, I'm not saying the Colts are going to score and win. What I'm saying, if you're able to keep this a non-shootout, as in managing Jefferson, limiting his end zone looks, you've got a shot. I don't care if he has 200 yards. You, you could have 200 yards and not score. Um, it's just a matter if he gets down to the red zone. Do what you got to do, man. And maybe that loosens up Thielen. Maybe that loosens up KJ Osborne, and that gives Kirk Cousins another look. Maybe that loosens up a screenplay for Cook. But if you manage to keep Jefferson as quiet as possible, that's your only shot to win the game, Jimmy. It, you you can't you can't keep up with the Vikings, nor can really any team. If you allow a two touchdown, two hundred and fifty game from Jefferson, if you allow a eleven catches for one hundred and seventy yards and no touchdowns, that's when you have a shot. You got to figure out ways to take away game changing opportunities. There's a difference between empty stats like you just mentioned and a two or three touchdown game for Justin Jefferson. Do I think the Colts defensively are capable of? Of keeping out of the end zone, this is one of the toughest tasks that they're going to have all year. Uh, I mean, I got to say, we have four games left. Let me rephrase that. This is one of the toughest tests they've had at this point in the season in terms of number one. Uh, is it possible? Yes. If I am trying to figure out a reason to invest in the Colts right now, or if I'm a Colts fan that doesn't want them to lose these final four games and doesn't care about the draft capital that they're torching right in front of our eyes, then yeah, I am. I'm all for uh, those these type of outlooks, which is very plausible that they could contain Justin Jefferson they've shown they have the ability to do that uh, within this secondary I I'm probably going to bet Justin Jefferson to score a touchdown though like I I, I find it a hard time they're going to keep him out of the end zone but to your point though it's how many times they limit him to his end zone touches because yeah totally agree with you you have a two or three touchdown game for Justin Jefferson even if he's just in the end zone twice I don't like the Colts chances and that's why I'm have it as a nine point advantage for the Vikings and why I'm not as concerned with the hook as you might think. Eddie. I'm looking at this at the other side. I'm looking at the Colts side of the plus three, and I can see why the line would be in the spot that it currently is. Vikings are coming off a short week. Granted, it is only one day, but they just played on the road in Detroit. They lost. I, and I think the Colts have the recipe to contain the Minnesota offense. And you guys pointed out that the run game for the Colts has not been great the last couple of weeks, but what's the common denominator there with the run game not being well the last couple of weeks in the injury report? Quiddy Pay. Quiddy Pay hasn't been playing. And I, I, you can give him all the credit you want for the lack of, or not credit, but like you can nitpick him and not being a great pass rusher and getting to the quarterback, but he has been great in the run game. And I think that's where the Colts' run game struggles defensively has stemmed from. Uh, the recent weeks is no quitting pay. He's going to be back this tomorrow against Minnesota. 
Plus, if you can run the ball against the Minnesota Vikings defense, which gives up the most yardage, by the way, in the NFL, they've given up 2,000 yards over the last five weeks, four straight games of over 400 yards. I think the Colts have the recipe to defeat Minnesota because that defense has been so good for most of the season outside of the Dallas game. Uh, and that Dallas game was only so bad because of all the turnovers on the offensive side. Uh, the fan just tweeted out our predictions for today. Uh, nobody picked the Vikings, or sorry, nobody picked the Colts. Everybody picked the Vikings. Nobody picked the Colts to cover. Nobody has the Colts covering the three and a half. That includes the gentleman across the way who has the recipe for the Colts to knock off the Vikings. Again, that's just a friendly jab. I understand that. I agree with you. Uh, that's a big part of it, but I just. We got to fight today? That's not where I. And we might. 12 rounds? Yeah, you, man, know, he, you know, he forgets who controls his microphone. <laughs> that's a good point. Did we a good all point. pick the Vikings? Everybody did. Yep. Kevin, Jake, me, JMV, you, Mark, Kyle, Eddie, Nick. All. Uh, how many we got? Nine. You've got Nine the lowest us. total, by the way, BK. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be a high scoring game. I don't either. This, to me, can turn into. It, we've talked about the skill of Jefferson, but this, to me, can turn into a running back duel. If both guys get hot. I mean, Dalvin Cook has the ability to run for 200 yards. Jonathan Taylor has not done it in a long time, but Jonathan Taylor has the ability to go triple digits. If this game script... That's what you want as an ugly game, right? Yeah. Yeah, if this game script ends up favoring the running back... I mean, yeah, no, there's no, no, no reason. There's no reason why you can't make it competitive, Jimmy. No, n- not at all. And again, I'm not... My margin doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a blowout, even though I... I kind of think this is a Vikings win going away. That's just, again, my prognostication of this matchup. Uh, that's not to say the Colts couldn't put together a scoring drive right out of the gate. I just I think this is going to be a comfortable win for Minnesota because I, I don't think that they underestimate the Colts in general. They're not going to underestimate Jonathan Taylor's ability to change games. They're not going to underestimate Matt Ryan, even though, again, this has been one of the worst passing offense in the league. So... I understand the sentiment for the Colts have a recipe there, and I agree with you, BK. The only way to win this game is win ugly, make it into a running ground-and-pound affair. I just think that this isn't like you're going up against Kansas City in Week 3 where there wasn't a high-level established running game at that point. These are two backs that Cook in his prime – just as good, if not better, than what John and Taylor has put on the field the last two years. He's more on the back end, and again, is I don't want to say on the back end, he's still a top five running back, but it's him and Madison now sharing that load, and they both do things so well in space that that that's a rock fight that I, I guess maybe you make it a coin flip, but I'm still going to give the edge to Minnesota solely based on the fact that they have the better passing attack. This, to me, is the type of game that Naeem Hines would play well in if the Colts actually played him and didn't trade him. Because I talked about this way earlier in the year, how the Jacksonville Jaguars managed their running backs when they had James Robinson and then paired him with Travis Etienne is what I thought the Colts should have been doing all along with JT and Hines. Of course, Hines is now on the Bills, and Zach Moss, I mean, he's practically been a ghost since he arrived in Indy because, I mean, Zach Moss in that trade just made absolutely no sense. But this, to me, if the Colts still had Naeem Hines, this is a game where he would shine. Because you would at least, if you played him, you would at least keep the Vikings defense off balance. You could put Hines in the slot. You could put Hines in the backfield. I loved when they gave the look of both Taylor and Hines in the backfield together. 
That was such an interesting look because Taylor was like that physical running gun guy that I'm coming for you up the middle. And then they fake it and then you get Hines on a screen. You could just dart him downfield. This to me would be a Naeem Hines type game. Unfortunately, you make that trade. That's not possible. And now it's pretty much JT. And they've done Jimmy JT such a disservice with the inability to have creativity offensively before Frank Reich was fired. I mean, how many times could you play a drinking game with the Colts offense? It was Jonathan Taylor up the middle. Unfortunately, that has not changed much with Parks Frazier. So from a running style, you're going to need to count on Jonathan Taylor having a bell cow type game where he gets the ball and he rolls up the middle. And you just got to trust that the Vikings defense can stay off balance. There was a time very early on in the career of Ezekiel Elliott where the Cowboys had viewed one of the best offensive lines in football. And then there was a span of about a year or so in an offseason where those holes weren't there as easily as they were. They didn't come as, as wide open as he had in his first two seasons in the league. I don't think that's what's happening with Jonathan Taylor because I do think he has great vision and I do think he's a very electric running back. But I put less on his shoulders of uh, just why he's had a down year and more so on the offensive line. And to your point, more so on the lack of ingenuity within and, and, and inventiveness within this Colts offense. I thought, as many did, that Naeem Hines is going to be a massive part of this passing game underneath Frank Reich. And it, it, it never came to fruition, whether because they didn't like the looks they were getting out of it, they didn't trust the line to protect to allow opportunities for Hines to develop, or just from a lack of uses in general, the use was so bad to a point that, yeah, they traded him, BK, and now you're very one-dimensional outside of a change of pace opportunity for Jackson or for Moss other than a Taylor run to the outside or Taylor run to the middle. There's not a much level of creativity still available with this running game this season. Not saying that's the end of JT's dominance. It's just it's been a down year in part because the offensive line hasn't made things as easy as it was a year ago, and... In general, the creativity has not been as fresh. Robert Harris says Hines didn't have a Hines game in two years. Look, because he wasn't given the opportunity to. When he had opportunities, remember that two-touchdown game in Detroit? Now, to be fair, that was early on in the season. Now, to be fair, that was a very different-looking Colts team. But when given the opportunity, the guy had a two-touchdown game in Detroit and from a receiving perspective was playing very well in that Phillip Rivers year and then early on in that Carson Wentz year. Now, Naeem Hines has not done anything in Buffalo because Josh Allen commands that offense. There's a lot of mouths to feed in Buffalo. Singletary in the backfield. Hines in the backfield. James Cook in the backfield. It's tough for Naeem Hines. I'm not saying that Naeem Hines is a pro bowler. What I am saying, this Colts offense would be boosted so much if he was here and he was given the opportunity to succeed because... You know what the difference is, Jimmy, between the Buffalo offense and the Colts offense? There's not as many mouths to feed here, yet the offense is struggling. There's a lot of mouths to feed in Buffalo. You think of the Davises. You think of the Diggs. Cole Beasley, I think, just suddenly came out of retirement and signed back with the Bills for the playoff run. So there's a lot of people to get the ball. Is that why Hines is struggling? Not necessarily. Maybe Hines is already passed the best of what we have seen from him. There's no reason that Naeem Hines couldn't end up having a 
career at some point down the line. And again, I understand that there's going to be Chiefs influence for me, but this is the first name that comes to mind, so I'm sorry. There's no reason Naeem Hines couldn't eventually have a contribution to a contender like Tariq McKinnon is having for Kansas City. He's mainly, he's mainly a pass-catching back. He is mainly a uh, just a screener that's utilized to break plays open. They're both about the same size. They both have similar speed. Uh, Naeem Hines' career is not over by any means. And to your point and to the point on the YouTube chat, he was not utilized like that. He was never utilized. He wasn't given the opportunity. The, what right, are you supposed correct, to do? Correct. Correct. So that that's why uh, maybe it doesn't come to fruition with Buffalo this year. Maybe they deal him in the offseason. I don't know. I don't think this is a contract year. I think he's still under two or three years of control. Eddie nods his head to that. So maybe they deal him. But wherever happens, there are landing opportunities for Naeem Hines to have a similar career to what McKinnon had, assuming he does have the hands that we all think he does in the pass catching game. Listen, the Colts signed him to a three-year $18.6 million contract for a reason. He's gone. He would help out a lot this weekend. But you know what? That's all hypothetical. That can't happen. It's JT's game, and we'll see what happens when the Colts head to Minnesota tomorrow afternoon at 1 o'clock. Coming up next, we are going to get into some college football chatter. The Purdue Boilermakers have a new offensive coordinator. The guy that broke the news of that yesterday was ESPN's Adam Rittenberg. He will be with Jimmy and I next. It's BK, Jay Cook, and Eddie Garrison in studio. Coming back on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Welcome back to The Fan. Jimmy Cook and Brennan King coming to you on a Friday. Happy Friday to you. Bowl season is upon us. That's right. From now until the end of the year and beyond, you can enjoy college football. We're talking about being able to enjoy World Cup action during the day. Now we got bowl season as well throughout the rest of the calendar year. Joining us now on the Motor Shop in Fisher's Hotline and the MowerShop.com hotline. Adam Rittenberg of ESPN, who was the first to break the news that Graham Harrell has been hired as the next offensive coordinator at Purdue to join Ryan Walter's staff for the Boilermakers. Adam, thanks so much for joining us. I know it's a busy time of year for you with the transfer portal, bowl season, and all these type of coaching moves. Uh, what were your initial thoughts on the move? And uh, congrats on getting the scoop yesterday. Well, thanks. Uh, you know, I talked with Ryan Walters the day he got hired. I guess that was Tuesday. And, you know, I think he's very aware of the fact he's taking over of a program that's known mainly for offense and for quarterback play. And, you know, he's the first primarily defensive coach that Purdue's hired since the early 80s. And you know, he said, listen, if, if you think you're gonna, we're going to run the power eye around here, like, like that's not what's going to happen. And, and obviously you learned last night that um, they are going to run a, a system that's seemingly more in line with what Jeff Brom did and, and kind of in line with, with Purdue's tradition of, of making it about the quarterback and throwing the ball around. And you know, I don't know if it'll be the exact same air raid as, as Mike Leach ran or that Graham played in at Texas Tech, but I think that's going to be the focal point of the offense. And, you know, whenever a defensive-oriented coach gets hired, you you do wonder naturally about the plan on offense, and Ryan Walters wasted no time in in showing us what his plan is, at least initially with the Graham Harrell hire. 
Hey, Adam, this is Brendan. I think over the last few days we've read all into the stats of what Ryan Walters did to lead the defense at Illinois, but just how good in the grand scheme of things were the fighting Illini under Coach Walters that he can now bring to West Lafayette? Right. Well, I mean, this is the top defense in the country for most of the year, um, you know, and, and, and still is in some categories, really top three, top five in most of the major categories. They've had several stars emerge. Devin Witherspoon is an All-America uh, cornerback. You know, they weren't a defense that we knew much about individually going into the year. They lost some good players off of last year's crew. And, you know, we figured, okay, this is a, a decent defense, but it turned into an excellent one. And, and that's, uh, that's largely due to, to Ryan and his work. So um, I think he's a guy who had some coordinator experience coming in from Missouri, but really clicked with Brett Bielema and the Illinois program. And even though he's not a Big Ten guy per se, he spent a couple of years in the conference and, and really th- you know, likes the fact that you can play defense in this league and, and it's, still, it's still valued. And, and uh, you know, I know he was really excited about the opportunity at Purdue. So um, you're definitely a fast-rising coach on the defensive side of the ball, but, but, but someone who, who's seen by a lot of people around the country as, as a, you know, a, an exciting on-the-rise head coach, probably would have been the choice at Colorado if it wasn't Deion Sanders. Adam, with Graham Harrell joining the fold and obviously his time at West Virginia over the last three years uh, had the same role as the OC uh, at USC. For Purdue fans that are anxious and really excited to see what uh, this new era is going to look like and what they're going to look like on the offensive end, what can Purdue fans uh, expect from uh, Coach Harrell? Obviously, recruits uh, withheld because we don't know the pieces that are going to be put together there, but uh, what type of styles can Purdue fans expect out of Coach Harrell? Well, I think ideally it'll be more like, you know, the, the, the best Graham Harrell team, I think, was the 2019 USC team um, when, you know, Keaton Slovis was the quarterback and they set all sorts of passing records at USC. I think the, the, the concern at times is, you know, how much is he going to run the ball? And, you know, Devin Mockaby, we all saw the great video with Ryan Walters giving him a scholarship and he had a great season, you know, helping Purdue's run game, you know, how much is he going to be used in, in Graham Harrell's offense? That's an interesting question. You know, I thought this year at West Virginia, it was up and down. You know, they, they weren't able to stretch the field as much as, as I know, you know, Graham wants to do. And, and I thought it was, you know, kind of an okay, but not great season for JT Daniels, their quarterback, who by the way, is in the transfer portal as is Keaton Slovis. So, you know, one of those two might end up reuniting with Graham Harrell at, at Purdue, or it could be somebody else. But it is a pass-oriented scheme. You know, you saw that. Uh, anyone who was who reviewing the Mike Leach tributes this week and, and just from a schematic standpoint knows that that's a pass-oriented, quarterback-oriented offense that's going to throw it around a lot. Um, but I think how he incorporates the run game will be really interesting. How he incorporates the, the, the personnel that, that he inherits there at Purdue is going to be really interesting. But I, I think it does fall in line you know, somewhat with, with what Jeff Brom did previously. It's not the exact same system, but it's one that's certainly built around the quarterback position. Adam was just about to talk about Daniels and Slovis being in the transfer portal, and with Graham Harrell going to West Lafayette, Jimmy and I have talked about a lot over the last couple of days, recruiting at Purdue and how already difficult it can be, but maybe becoming even more difficult when the likes of UC- USC and UCLA join the Big Ten. But having a young guy like Walters there that clearly has the energy and then bringing in Harold that seemingly has a pretty attractive scheme to a quarterback, is this going to help Purdue recruiting from a game plan and on-field standpoint, the fact that these two are in the Purdue program? 
Well, I think it has a real chance to. I think the energy that Ryan's going to bring, I think he's a very – he told me about – I asked him, like, what's your greatest strength? And he talked about being organized. I think that's a really important thing for a first-time head coach. And, you know, organized and aggressive and being able to, you know, use that youth um, in, in recruiting and with, with the transfer portal, making it an attractive destination for uh, recruits is, is going to be important because, as you guys know – you know, the state of Indiana, really good high school football there, but it's not going to supply you an entire roster. You have to be able to go to either the Chicago area, which Purdue's done well, or to different areas of the country. Historically, you know, Purdue had had great success in Texas. Could certainly see Graham Harrell being a Texan helping that effort. Um, you know, and it is more of a national game there. You know, Ryan Walters grew up in L.A. I mean, I think you know those connections could end up helping Purdue just from a recruit and, and transfer standpoint. But I, I, I think the fact that they're not having a major departure from, you know, sort of the offense identity under Brom uh, going to a defensive oriented coach and Walters is going to help with, with some level of continuity, but you know, it's always, it's always hard that first kind of transition to, you know, keep as many recruits on board and try to enhance your class. And I'm really inter- interested to see what, what Ryan and Graham and, and whoever else comes aboard uh, is able to do here in the, in the immediate. Adam Rittenberg, nice enough to join us. You can follow Adam on Twitter at ESPN Rittenberg. He's joining us via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline and the motorshop.com, the motor shop for all your residential and commercial mowers, snowblowers, apart, uh, uh, equipment, tools, and so much more. They have you covered. Adam, zooming out, Big picture here for just a second. The uh, news announced earlier this week that the NCAA is tapping Governor Charlie Baker as its next president. Uh, NCAA has been kind of uh, up and down as a body, and I probably put that a little kindly the last couple of years. Uh, what does Baker stepping into this role uh, maybe change about the direction the NCAA is going to appear over these next couple of years and what the overall impact on college athletics will be? Well, I think it shows that the NCAA recognizes a lot of their key battles are going to be, you know, kind of outside of the academic setting, you know, in Washington, um, you know, legally. And, and those are areas that, that obviously Governor Baker has expertise in. And I think it sort of follows a pattern of uh, major leadership hires in college athletics being people that weren't career administrators in either athletic departments or at the university level. You know, so you look at the commissioner hires recently. I didn't know Brett Yormark was going to be on the radar for the Big 12 or Kevin Warren. Didn't know the name Kevin Warren, honestly, before the Big 10 hired him. I didn't know the name George Klyovkov before the Pac-12 hired him. So that's three of the five power commissioners. And then, you know, now you have, uh, you know, a, a politician and, and at times a CEO and healthcare companies um, becoming the, the head of the NCAA rather than a university president, which it's always been. So I think it just signifies how different the issues are uh, facing the NCAA and some of the arenas where you need somebody that has that level of know-how and is comfortable, you know, being in Washington, which Charlie Baker certainly will be, um, or in some of these legal uh, uh, situations that, that have got the NCAA in trouble here recently. So, it, it, you know, while the name was surprising, it, you know, I, I think maybe we all should have been thinking, okay, th- th- it's not going to be a traditional hire because they're not dealing with traditional problems. It's ESPN's Adam Rittenberg with us. Adam, I'm a guy that works up in South Bend during the summers doing baseball, but that town obviously is surrounded by Notre Dame football. Uh, do you get the sense that Marcus Freeman's team 
is a quarterback away type deal from really competing for the playoff or are there more things that need to be addressed here this winter i I think it's quarterback excuse me and wide receiver like those are positions that have to be upgraded going forward and honestly the receiver position has been down for some time and so marcus is doing really well in recruiting um i i do want to see what they can do specifically at wide receiver because you know, under Brian Kelly at the end, they were a great offensive line program, really good defense. You know, a couple of their defensive uh, coordinators have gone on to become head coaches, including Marcus Freeman moving over uh, at Notre Dame and, and tight end. You know, tight end has been an awesome position. Michael, Michael Mayer's going to be a great tight end in the NFL, and Notre Dame's really going to miss him. They have missed, 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 missed at wide receiver. They have not had enough at that position. So that, to me, is going to be – the, the position to watch uh, alongside quarterback, which, you know, it's pretty clear Notre Dame is going to be active in the transfer portal to try to improve at that position, which they did to their credit with Jack Cohn coming in from Wisconsin a couple of years ago. But if they want to compete at a higher level, they're going to need a, a guy, a quarterback that, that is, you know, at the, you know, Bryce Young, um, Caleb Williams, you know, those types of quarterbacks. Uh, if, if they're going to really make some noise, even when the playoff expands and you would expect Notre Dame to be in that mix more often. So I think Marcus is, o- is upgrading the overall recruiting. But if I'm a Notre Dame fan, I really want to know what's going to happen at quarterback. And I really want to know what's going to happen at wide receiver. Adam, bowl season officially gets underway. Last question I had for you on my front. I know you're covering a tons of different instances around college football, but just in terms of your personal preference, uh, is there any non-college football playoff bowl game that, that's enticing to you or that, that, that I can follow you along and get behind uh, throughout bowl season that you're looking forward to? Yeah, and I like all the New Year's Six matchups. I mean, um, opt-outs are going to affect them. You know, Clemson, Tennessee is a fun one. A lot of orange at the Orange Bowl. Um I really love the Kansas State story, and them going against Alabama is going to be fun just to see if you're going to get, you know, which Alabama team you're going to get in that game and obviously which players are going to show up for them in a non-CFP bowl game. If you want a really good group of five matchup, the one today in the Cure Bowl is outstanding. you got two conference champions uh, in, in Troy and UTSA. You know, Troy's coach, John Sumrall, won the conference, the Sun Belt, in the first year he was there. Uh, Jeff Trailer at UTSA has won the last two Conference USA titles. They're going into the American Conference. And I'll, I'll say this, the, the next time Texas A&M or Texas has an opening, I, I, I bet you it's going to be Jeff Trailer. I, I think he's going to be the next big-time coach in the state of Texas. Or it's going to be Sonny Dykes, who obviously had a great season this year at TCU. So, um, yeah, I would certainly check out that one later today. Looking forward to tracking it. Appreciate the recommendation and really appreciate you making time for us today, Adam. Okay, thanks for having me on. Thanks, Adam. That's Adam Rittenberg of ESPN. Nice enough to join us on the Motor Shop in Fishers hotline. You can follow him on Twitter at ESPN Rittenberg. And again, you can go to the Motor Shop in Fishers or themotorshop.com for all your residential and commercial mowers, as well as snowblowers, parts, equipment, and so much more. The Motor Shop has you covered. Brendan King and Jimmy Cook coming to you on the fan. Top of the hour, Alec Lewis, who covers the Vikings for The Athletic. Going to take some time with us, get more of the Vikings perspective as we go behind enemy lines to get ready for Saturday action for the Colts and the Vikings. Then at the bottom of next hour, Jeff Rabjohn's going to give us a little bit of insight on IU and Kansas, uh, what to expect in regards to the Hoosiers matchup against another top 10 opponent. And one of the top teams in college hoops on the road at the Fog. Also get an update in general on 
where Jalen Hood Shafino is trending. And then top of the two o'clock hour, Kevin Bowen, the fan's own, makes his usual appearance to give his final thoughts ahead of Colts Vikings. Jimmy Cook and Brendan King with you here on The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Jimmy, you just mentioned in the break, is there anything better than watching two average teams play a 10-0 first half at 12.52 p.m. on a Friday in bowl season? Give me yeah, a slice of it. apple pie and call it America, baby. That's what, that's what that is right there. Woo! I love, love it. it. UAB, Miami of Ohio, touchdown! Touchdown! He lost his helmet! Oh, look at him! Little, They're playing a 10-7 first half. We'll crank that soldier boy on the touchdown celebration. 10-7, let's go. Uh, asking you shall receive, Mr. Cook. Love it. Absolutely here for it. Uh, bowl season, thanks to Adam Rittenberg from ESPN for jumping on to chat all things college football and bowl season. I mean, you got to love the roofclaim.com Boca Raton Bowl. I'm just looking <laughs> at all these names. The Easy Post Hawaii Bowl. I mean, so I, I think the craziest one that we said earlier was the Jimmy Kimmel L.A. Bowl presented by Stifle. Well, that's just you just tip your cap to, I mean, to Kimmel for, <laughs> for, for getting involved with because uh, I can't remember how many years he's done that. And maybe this is the first year, but I know he's talked about in the past. Anytime there's any type of promotion opportunity, he's doing it. to get his name up there. He's doing it, which I love tomorrow. The Wasabi Fenway Bowl. Love that. I didn't know Wasabi was I, I thought Wasabi was just a food, not a. A brand? Not a brand. Yeah, I, right? I thought the same thing. I won't yeah. lie to you. I had no idea. The Wasabi Fenway. <laughs> no idea. Actually, that's that's what uh, that's the post game spread. Just pure Wasabi. <sighs> Enjoy. Man. And then you get a they didn't get a bowl of chowder after <laughs> to wash it down. <laughs> to, to wash it down. In Fenway. <laughs> the Lending Tree Bowl tomorrow. Rice in Southern Miss. New Mexico Bowl. SMU BYU at seven thirty. Close the night with the Frisco Bowl. North Texas and Boise State in Frisco at nine fifteen. I. You know what? I'm a little surprised UConn is bowl eligible. I mean, they were dead in the water. I didn't realize they were a six-win team. That Jim Moore is the coach there now, right? That Marshall and UConn? I believe so. I think all Notre Dame fans are going to be huge UConn fans tomorrow after yeah, for, what happened early this season. Where, did you say you were at that game? No. The Marshall game? No, I didn't get a chance to make it up to South Bend this year, regrettably. That's probably I was in good. in Las Vegas. That's probably good. I, you know, I thought it was interesting what Adam Rittenberg said about Notre Dame, the I think everybody knows they're a quarterback away, but how the wide receiver core really has faltered since Kelly left. I don't know if that would have been on my mind immediately. Yeah, I mean they dealt with Kelly left. They dealt with injuries both at the back end of Kelly's final year and then this off season as well. Um, so I mean that that's been. I'm not gonna just run through the list because I, I know we don't have the time in this segment. But yeah, they they've had high quality wide receivers more so the last five years, high quality tight ends. Michael Mayer, the next of a long line of tight ends to make it to the NFL uh, in this April's draft. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's a fascinating process for Notre Dame. Again, I, I tipped the cap to Coach Freeman. My expectations were I'm cautiously optimistic this year. Uh, I didn't have the bar set at a national championship, but I wanted them to have a good year, close the year strong. Did for the most part, except for the loss to USC. Now they're headed to the Gator Bowl and We'll see how that unfolds, but again, I don't judge a coach's end-all, be-all success based on bowl games unless you're in 
the semifinal if you're in the playoff. I agree, but for Notre Dame, it'd be nice to win one. Would be uh, nice. It would, it would be, be very, very nice. nice to win one. It would be a collective sigh of relief coming down from the five seven four. You probably hear that here in Indianapolis. Coming up next, we are going to get the report from behind enemy lines. Writer for The Athletic for the Vikings, Alec Lewis, will be with us at, after the break. Alec will give us everything we need to know about the Vikes and heading into tomorrow on Saturday afternoon football in Minnesota. I'm Brendan King with Jimmy Cook and Eddie Garrison on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Eddie knows how to play to the heartstrings of the great white north of Minnesota. Some more Prince. We had Paul Allen on earlier this week. Joining us now. Here in the DriveHuber.com studios and on the Motor Shop in Fisher's hotline and the MotorShop.com is Alec Lewis, beat writer for the Vikings for The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at Alec underscore Lewis. Alec, first off, thanks so much for making some time with us just before game day. And additionally, uh, you had a piece up in The Athletic recently on Justin Jefferson. We've talked about him, as you would expect, a number of times throughout the week, uh, not just myself because he's on my fantasy team and I have to disclose that like stock options but uh, just just how impressive has this two-year run been for Jefferson indescribably impressive I mean it is to watch him every Sunday is a it is a treat it's something um, obviously you know you cover this team objectively but but to be in attendance to see him do what he's done on a weekly basis is something I don't think I'll ever forget been really grateful for it and the way he's done it I, I said this earlier this morning on the radio here locally, but I, I nationally, for as highly as he was drafted in fantasy football leagues and as, as much as he has been talked about, I still don't think the national fear, football sphere fear, excuse me, realizes what he's navigating on a weekly basis in terms of coverage and how he's still uh, dominating in spite of that. So it's uh, he's a special player. I'm sure Colts folks will see that tomorrow. Hey, Alec, it's Brendan. After last week in Detroit, I'm sure you've seen at least the media portions of practice this week. How locked in, seemingly, has everybody on the Minnesota side been since that Detroit loss? Yeah, I think there there was a different type of um, intensity, but also just like a tense vibe for a team that's 10-3. and three. I mean, I, I was going to ask you this. I guess I'm curious, like, how people in another market view the Vikings right now because they are 10 and three and they are the number two seed currently in the NFC. But here locally, I mean, it seems, it feels kind of like sky is falling with how bad the defense has been over the last four, four or five weeks. I I don't I was kind of curious, like for people who are viewing it from afar, how the perspective well, we don't get asked questions often, so we appreciate it. But uh, no, I, I think I think this should tell you everything you need to know. That here at the fan, we do a weekly pick 'em for our final scores or what we think is going to happen in the game. There are eight, eight people that get asked about scores, and everybody here has picked the Vikings. So sure. I, I, I don't think 
<laughs> any side of defensive weakness is being shown to us and especially the fan base. But it's another thing, Alec, about everything that has happened here this year with the firing of Reich, the hiring of Saturday on yeah. an interim basis. And then, there's been, man, there's been a distraction everywhere, of course, with with whether Chris Ballard's going to be here next year. So I think that's been the focus for everybody. But, I mean, I, th- I think everything that jumps – off the page, Alec, when it comes to you guys and what the Vikings do is just the juggernaut offense when you can pair a Dalvin Cook and Alex Mattinson, a Adam Thielen with a Justin Jefferson and a guy that distributes the ball like Kirk Cousins. Yeah, there's no question. And it's an interesting perspective. From afar, I mean, viewing that situation has just been very interesting. And obviously, our, our Colts riders, Zach Kiefer at, at the Athletics, phenomenal. So, um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, this offense has been it, – it's interesting. They, they, they're they running a totally different scheme this year under first-year coach Kevin O'Connell. And I think the first part of the season, it was a lot of trying to figure out kind of how, how much has Kirk Cousins, um, like, transitioned to, to operating this scheme. There's a lot of pre-snap uh, – there's a big pre-snap responsibility that Kirk Cousins has to re- view coverage on passing down, but also to kind of make checks in the run game. And I think over the last few weeks and really specifically Sunday, the way Kirk operated and having uh, the targets like Justin Jefferson, but also TJ Hawkinson, who was acquired um, before the deadline, it, it feels like the offense has kind of come together in a way that, that uh, is it, probably not very fun to game plan for if you're an opposing defense. Alec, kind of flipping that question on you, uh, Jeff Saturday is still out here handing out 3% playoff chance t-shirts to us. Uh, what's the overall vibe in Minnesota on a Colts team that is reeling that most of the fan base, I'd like to think, wants this season to be over and a nice high draft pick to be in their pocket? <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the Viking fans expect to win this weekend. I think like I, I mentioned earlier, there has been a vibe around the defense, the Vikings defense about uh, just the amount of yards they've given up. They've given up 400 yards, I believe, to opposing offenses in five straight weeks, which I believe is a franchise record. So I think people here feel like this is a good opportunity against Matt Ryan and this Colts offense to, to get right. Uh, I say that. And I also know that if, if Matt Ryan and, and, and Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce and these guys find success, I think it, it would even probably exponentially raise the, the feeling of um, insecurity about the defense. So it'll, it, it, it's interesting. I think people here understand and have um, probably felt a lot of uh, – felt like a lot of opposing – fans watching what has happened there um so yeah it's an interesting contest that i think a lot of people here expect the vikings to win and uh and secure the nfc north title alec i think when it comes to a national perspective though a lot of people view the vikings as juggernauts obviously being a 10-win team a chance to finish off the division but it's been compelling to hear what you have said about maybe the local concerns for the team so what's one reason that you think this team could be built to go to a Super Bowl, and what's reason? What's one reason that you think that they could struggle to get to that point? Yeah, one reason is the guy who wears number eighteen. <laughs> um, I mean, I, again, like I, I don't really you you turn on the tape and you just watch this guy move, 
and you watch the hits he absorbs and you watch him split double teams, you watch him high point passes. I mean, there's a stat earlier this week that I came across. I think Justin Jefferson has accounted for like 43.5% of the Vikings passing yards. And that's the most one player has accounted for of their team going back to think 2012 Brandon Marshall, something crazy like that. So uh, if there's one reason they are capable of, of, kind of doing what what Vikings fans here, I think, are probably skeptical that they're capable of doing. It, it's him. I, the defense is is the reason that is the thing, I think, that, that everybody around here, here feels like they could hold him back. I mean, they there's a first-year regime, both at general manager Kwesi Adolfo Mensa and head coach Kevin O'Connell, and, and, and their defensive coordinator, Ed Donatel, has been around the league for a long time. Um, his scheme is very Vic Fangio-oriented, where they want to limit explosive plays and, and force the opposing team to just play another down. The problem is they haven't limited explosive plays. There's been, like, huge gaping swaths of, of space in the defense that, that for weeks just have gone uncovered. Guys like Mac Jones threw for 300 yards. Mike White threw for 300 yards. So the defense right now, um, specifically the passing defense, is I think the, 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 the quality of this team that could really hold them back when it matters most. Alec Lewis, nice enough to join us today via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline. Go to the Motor Shop and Fishers or the motorshop.com for all your residential commercial mowers, as well as snowblowers, power equipment, tools, and so much more at the Motor Shop and Fishers and motorshop.com. You can follow Alec on Twitter at Alec underscore Lewis. He's the beat writer for the Minnesota Vikings on The Athletic. Alex, you mentioned what's something that in years past might have been viewed as a hang-up for the Vikings. And for me, I, I hate to say this, but I was never all in on Kirk Cousins. I've always felt like sure. he's had limitations. That's not to say that he hasn't still sh- shown those this year. But across the board, very, very impressive season from him. Seventh in passing yards, uh, tied for 10th in passing touchdowns, uh, threw 425, two touchdowns a week ago against Detroit in the loss. Has it been all O'Connell, or what's been the biggest key to kind of unlocking an impressive Kirk Cousins this season? Well, I'll say this. He's coming off the best game of the season by far, the best game he's played. He's also, I mean, it's funny you list those rankings, those stats, but he's talked for a lot of this season how he's finished some of these games and and got in the car and, like, on the drive home afterwards, he's like, man, I am not playing well, and we're winning these games. And and though he hasn't turned the ball over a ton, I mean, I think if you've watched this Vikings team on a week-to-week basis, there do seem like they they go quarters where just the thing struggles offensively, um, and they they sputter out. So, I I mean, I think the the recent success has just come with comfort in the scheme. I think T.J. Hawkinson – addition has helped I think uh just Kirk's grown growing trust and the fact that he can throw it up to Justin Jefferson at any spot on the field and Justin will come down with it uh has helped but but I I mean the one thing that I, I don't I mean your opinion on Kirk Cousins in terms of like not really sure I mean that Vikings fans here locally have shared that for years, and the one thing I don't think he's ever gotten enough credit for is his durability. I mean, he's taken more hits, QB hits this year than any other quarterback. That includes guys who run the football. Um, I mean, the, the, he's just gotten <laughs> just obliterated in a lot of these games, and he he, he gets up um, and he he hasn't missed a game. So I think 
um, here locally. That it's 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 grown him. It's it's a, I guess rewarded him a little bit more respect from from a lot of people. Just the amount of toughness that he's shown this entire season. Alec, I know the Vikings are built to win now for what you would think to be a long time with Justin Jefferson being so young and Kevin O'Connell looking like a very, very impressive young head coach. But how crucial is it to try and take care of business right now when it comes to winning as much as you can when you take into perspective that when you look at the NFC North, it won't be long, you would think, before the Bears are competing if Justin Fields works out. The Detroit Lions all of a sudden look like they're back, and you can't count on the Packers struggling as they have this year for multiple years at a time. So just how crucial is it to try and take care of business when you have this window, especially in the division? Oh, it's it's incredibly important. And, um, I mean, you said they're built to – they do have a lot of pieces, but they're, they're in an interesting cap situation. Uh, there are multiple players like Dalvin Cook and Eric Kendricks and others that they're going to have to make decisions on after this season. Adam Thielen's contract's an interesting one. So, yeah, I mean, they, they rarely do you find yourself in this division with the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers playing football where, where you have a chance with games remaining to lock up a division title and, and, and have home field advantage. So for the Vikings to take advantage of it um, would just be gigantic. I, I, I think, I mean, for Kwesi Adofo Mensa and Kevin O'Connell's first season to have already stacked 10 wins is a, is a really positive sign with, with them kind of running it back with much of the same core. So to, to seize this opportunity, there's no doubt um, they, they, they need to do it. They must do it. And that's, obviously starts with beating a team with an interim coach who had never coached before uh, 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 further than high school football. Alec, Brennan and I were discussing this uh, to start the show, trying to find avenues and paths to the Colts, potentially pulling off a, a surprise upset, which would defy everything that I've seen out of them over the course of this season. But either way, we try to power through and find that answer. Uh, sure. Brendan and I, one of the best suggestions we had, which is, I think, the key to life for anybody that plays the Vikings, find a way to limit the amount of times Justin Jefferson gets in the end zone. I know that's a, an ingenious concept, but it's one that the Colts passing defense has shown capabilities to do. It's been the one bright spot of this Colts team as a whole has been the defensive end. Uh, is that plausible against how well Jefferson's playing? And if it is, how much more would the Vikings be willing to lean on uh, the tandem of uh, Alexander Madison and um, uh, Dalvin Cook? Yeah, I don't really think it's plausible. I <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Either. Just to be clear, I don't either. But yeah. No, but I mean, it's interesting too. You mentioned Dalvin Cook, Alexander Madison. I mean, the, the Vikings run game has been pretty putrid, I think. Over the last month as well, I, there was a stat that I, I found after the game, the Vikings lost to the Lions last Sunday, that the Vikings have actually had, on a percentage basis, more negative or, or zero-yard runs than any other team in the NFL over the last, I believe, five weeks. So the running game has not been reliable. It'll be interesting to see how that looks against this Colts defense. Um, but, I mean, if, if you're talking about other ways in which the Colts might be able to to, to push the Vikings to the brink here, I mean, I think a lot of it is going to rely on and receivers like like Pittman and Alec Pierce and, and, and their tight ends find open space. And, and the Vikings have also struggled mightily against play action. And so 
Um, it's something Matt Ryan has done over the course of his career. I haven't watched enough Colts film to, to, to say whether he's done it enough or successfully this season. But, um, I mean, I think that it, it starts there. I mean, if the Vikings defense does not tighten up, they're gonna. <laughs> these games are probably going to be close regardless of opponent, and I think the Colts would have a chance for sure. Alec, you talked about earlier the defense for Minnesota and how maybe it's been a bit shaky. Well, injury report, five guys questionable for the Vikings, four of them defensive, Phillips, Jones, Hunter, and then Cam Dantzler. Would you say out of all of those, Dantzler maybe is the most concerning if he does have to miss tomorrow afternoon? Uh, <laughs> no, I don't think so because Cam Dantzler – has um, there there have been elements of the season that have been impressive, I and mean, his athleticism is impressive, and he's made a couple plays, but he's also blown a lot of assignments and coverage. Just to be very frank, and uh, I mean it's it's part of the reason the past defense has had such an, such issues. I mean Patrick Peterson, though he is is aged and he's not his self has been really, really good and really stout on the outside. But other than that, the Vikings have just had a revolving door on that side. So I think it, it, I, I, I don't know if that would be the player I would choose. I would probably choose Daniil Hunter on the edge. I mean, the fact he popped up late in the week with a neck injury on the injury report is a little concerning. He's also just um, not had the type of sack production that I think everyone everyone around here would have hoped he would have. And there are probably a, ro- a lot of reasons for that. But the reality is for this defense to be better, they need a better pass rush as well as tighten coverage. And so to not have Daniil or really Patrick Jones behind him, th- th- those would both be pretty, pretty tough. Alec, Brendan is a massive Cubs fan. And I bring that into the conversation because where is this going? Early, you asked us earlier <laughs> where the national perspective was on the Minnesota Vikings. I have a nephew that lives up in Minnesota. Uh, the reason uh-huh. I believe you asked that is because there's so much scar tissue around this organization, uh, particularly in the playoffs. Uh, it, how accurate am I with that comparison? And, and is that kind of how the vibe is around Minnesota? It's like, yeah, that's great. But uh, the other day, what's going to happen to the playoffs? Yeah, that's funny you brought up the – I thought you were going – before I covered the Vikings for the Athletic, actually, which is my first year this year, I covered the Kansas City Royals for three years. So hey, I thought no we one. were going baseball. I thought we were going baseball talk. I could have hopped right into it. <laughs> it would have been good to go. Um, scar tissue exists in a major way. I mean, I, I'm from Alabama originally. Like I said, I covered the Royals for three years for the Athletic. Um, but, I mean, <laughs> the Minnesota sports fan has had a tough go, and the Vikings – specifically have just not given them a ton of reasons to have optimism when things are kind of looking fairly good. I mean, obviously people here are pumped about Justin Jefferson and and, and I think they, they really enjoyed Kevin O'Connell's new energy, but um, just from like a, a, a team wide perspective, it, it's hard for people to buy in. I mean, week two, they went to Philadelphia and got smashed on Monday Night Football, and so people lost faith. Then they they beat Buffalo in the absurd game, and I think people are like, all right, maybe this team is capable. And then Dallas beat them, I believe, 40-3 to at home. So it's just it feels like I think the, the fans here have been through such whiplash um, that, that they act the way they do and believe. And, and, and I guess uh, they, 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 they test um, – they are tested why, uh, the amount that they are. 
Uh, that's awesome, Alec, that you got to cover baseball for three years. I, I call games in the Cubs system um, and for their TV network, Marquee Sports Network. So it's uh, being in a clubhouse every day is a whole lot of fun. It sounds like you've gotten some great experiences at the Athletic with the Royals and, and now the Vikings. Uh, my, my last question is a bit uh, of a reach, too. Uh, so being from Alabama, as you just said, now in the state of Minnesota, I mean, the state of Minnesota is the state of hockey. So have you gotten into hockey at all since you've been up in Minnesota? It's funny. I uh, I was driving around yesterday after I left the facility, and I was like, I was going to a store to pick something up, and there was like a Bauer hockey experience store, and I'm just like <laughs> thinking, I'm thinking in my head, like, can I imagine a hockey experience store in Alabama? It's the most absurd thing in the world. I didn't go inside, and I haven't gotten into it a ton, but like, I I I, I will say I've been to a, a ton of. I mean, I went to the University of Missouri. I, I went to a bunch of Blues games yeah. in St. Louis while I was around in, the, in down in that area. So I, I I love going to hockey games. I haven't watched a ton of it on TV. I need to get to, to uh, Excel to watch the Wild and, and, and Kirill Kaprizov for sure. But, no, I haven't gotten into it a ton. It's been a lot of uh, – as much as I probably like to, um, I, I want to go to the state hockey tournament. Yep. So I'm, I'm not, like, against it. I'm not, I'm not like, like this, what is this dumb sport. I can watch any <laughs> of these things and probably – probably love it um if i really got into it but i'm focused on this team and this this defense that fans here are screaming about well when you get to playoff time in minnesota i mean that's a fun team and that's a great build i've been in that building once uh i mean Kirill the thrill is unreal to watch i mean flurry's your yeah. goalie you just acquired ryan reeves i mean that dude is so much fun to watch i mean he, he just beats the crap out of people so that's gonna be a lot of fun especially that you know playoffs are gonna be after the season for you in minnesota as you get ready for the draft so i'm sure there will be something for you to watch at all times no doubt no i'm, I'm looking forward to i mean we have michael russo is arguably the best hockey writer in america and and he lives here locally and just added another hockey writer on the wild joe smith so i mean it's uh, I'm fortunate in that if I'm if I'm seeking information about the teams here locally or needing to get around a hockey game, I, I've got two people to reach out to pretty close. But I'm I'm excited about it. I uh, it's, it's it's a cool a cool sports town with a lot of pride in their teams and and expectations. That's for sure. Alec, last question on my end, and I forgot to ask this to Paul Allen. I should have. I dropped the ball there. Uh, if you're a Colts fan that's going to Minnesota, first off. God bless you for going to Minnesota to bring a jacket. Yeah, a lot of snow up there. Uh, definitely do. But but if you're traveling for the Colts, I, I tip my cap to you wholeheartedly. Uh, Ju- Ju- Juicy Lucy uh, is the go-to, uh, my go-to food item whenever I'm in Minnesota. Uh, you now live there, obviously, covering the team. Are you a Matt's guy? Are you a 5'8 guy? Have you had the Juicy Lucy while you were in uh, Minnesota? For those that don't know, it's a burger with uh, with liquid cheese in the middle. Yeah, I'm a bass guy, 100%. Yes. I went like one of the first days I was here. I just thought the place was was very cool. It was very fun. It 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 is a it is a good item. Um, but no, Minnesota. If you're coming and you're a Colts fan and coming to this game at US Bank Stadium, bravo! First of all, for sticking with your team like that. But you'll love US Bank Stadium. It was one of the most. Um, enjoyable venues that I've covered a game in, so should be fun. But no, Matt, yeah, if you're here, definitely grab a Juicy Lucy and Matt. I'm, I'm all in. Right there with you. I appreciate you making time for us, Alec. Appreciate your work, and uh, good luck the rest of the way, and uh, enjoy the ride for Minnesota. Of course. Thank you guys for having me enjoy the game, and who knows, every Vikings game is close, so uh, <laughs> hold your breath down the wire. Hey, a three and a half. Uh, too much? Uh, just right. Okay. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Alec. Thanks, Alec. Yeah.
That is Alec Lewis, Vikings beat writer for The Athletic. Take some time with us on the Motor Shop in Fisher's Hotline and themotorshop.com. Go out there at the Motor Shop in Fisher's themotorshop.com for all your residential or commercial mowers, well as snowblowers, parts, equipment, and so much more. Matt's is the right answer there. They're both good, but uh, Matt's has a more of a dive bar feel. Uh, delicious is the Juicy Lucy. Highly recommended if you're a Colts fan headed down there. I agree with Alex's sentiment there. Never have had one. Very good. Eddie? Same. Never had one. You should have asked him about the Skull Chant and his experience on the first time witnessing that. That's Carolina. No, Skull is... They do a... The, uh, Skull is in Minnesota. Yeah, the Vikings do the little... Yeah. Carolina, the Hurricanes do it. Well, they both do then. The Wild don't do it. No, no, no. But I think he just met Skull. the Vikings. The Vikings. Oh, I, we were talking... About, okay. Well, why didn't you ask the question? Yeah, you have a microphone. I'm not a host. <laughs> you have asked multiple questions this week. <laughs> All you have to do is ask. He's got you there, man. This is checkmate. Hey, the time, man. We gotta we gotta hit that break. There you, you go. Got, you you got, go. Uh, He's the Rob one Jones. that's got to break. Company man, company man, right there. Is that accurate, by the way? Uh, Jimmy, is it accurate? Come on, skull. Okay, just make sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's spread around. Do right? The, the first yeah. time I saw the skull uh, clap was Iceland. Uh, I don't know. How uh, many well, years ago. I think everybody copied it from that. That's what I'm saying. So I I've I did not know. Was that, that the World Carolina Cup? Does. It was either Euros or the World Cup. I'm pretty sure it was World Cup though. Pretty sure. Yeah, you know what? What happened to them? Because there were there were a wagon. Hey, Brendan. What? <laughs> we have ten seconds. He's got time. It's Brendan King. Eight, seven. I'm Jimmy Cook. Six. Eddie Garrison behind this the is ones what, and twos. If folks we're still in the biz, here, this is what you call a hard out. If we are still here and we're still over after and this break, <laughs> and Brendan and Eddie or myself have not. Taking one another out. <laughs> we got Jeff Rabjohns <laughs> coming up next. Preview IU Kansas. Jimmy Cook and Brennan King on the fan. Big one. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. And tomorrow for the Indiana Hoosiers. Taking on the Kansas Jayhawks at 1651 Naismith Drive, also known as Allen Fieldhouse in Lawrence, Kansas. On his way there right now is our pal Jeff Rabjohns from Pigs.com. Jeff, glad to join you on the highway and the drive. Hope that's going well. And I think the thing that everybody wants to know right now, Jeff, is the status possibly of Jalen Hood-Shafino. Yeah, I think right now, um, if we were talking in NFL injury parlance, I think I'd probably lean toward putting him in, in the probable list. Um, you know, that's just, that's just my opinion based upon some things that I've heard. Um, but th- that, that's kind of where I would put him. You know, he uh, he wasn't going to play at uh, at Las Vegas. Um, you know, he, he went through, you know, he really didn't do much even in the walkthrough before the game, you know, just some stretching, some light shooting, but didn't even really participate in the walkthroughs. He knew he wasn't going to play there. But uh, right now, um, yeah, I'd probably say probable. But, but again, you know, uh, it's a back issue. You know, he's, he's got a, you know, they're, they're in the air right now. They're in the flight, you know, so he's going to have to get it all stretched out tonight. He's going to have to feel good tonight. You know, he's going to have to feel good tomorrow during, during the shoot-around before the noon game. Um, but right now, I, I would probably lean towards saying I'd put him on the list uh, at probable. 
you know, Jeff, it's interesting to look at IU and how veteran-led they are, especially in the post, but just how much this freshman Hood Shafino impacts things positively for Mike Woodson's team. What does he bring to IU on the court that they're without most when he's not? A real heady, real steady, six foot five, strong point guard who functions very well under duress. You know, when you press him, maybe try to trap him, run and jump him, uh, he stays calm and he can function. Um, you know, when, uh, when Xavier Johnson went out of the game against Arizona last weekend out there in Vegas, uh, Arizona immediately went on a 17 0 run. Uh, if Jalen Hutchfino's out there, Indiana doesn't give up a 17 0 run. Um, because he would, he would put the ball in Jalen Hutchfino's hands. And I also think he helps Xavier Johnson because that way Xavier can play off the ball some, can, can hunt shots, can hunt drives. And you can just have Jalen bring the ball up, get, get everybody situated, um, get everybody into what they're running. Um, and he's got really good speed and vision. You know, he, he's, he's not a blow by guy, but he's got, you know, underrated speed. Um, he's got the ability to, to be strong with the ball. You know, he's, he's six, five, six, six, a little over 200 pounds, you know, real difficult to take the ball from. He just gets the team into its offense possession by possession. Uh, and that's the thing that, that I think he brings that matters the most in the court. Jeff, Brennan and I were debating this earlier in the week. Is it worrisome at all? People talked about going into the season, how much depth there was along IU's roster from top to bottom, being able to, I don't want to say utilize, to, to steal a phrase from, from the Kentucky ranks of the platoon system, but, but have great weapons off the bench. Is it concerning at all how much reliance is on Hood Shafino this early in the season, or is it merely just he was a, ma- a massive fill-in piece for what was missing a year ago? Of course they're relying on him. Yeah, I don't think it's really a concern. I think it's just the fact that he is so good at such a critical thing, which is, you know, being the point guard and and running the team. And he's also very good defensively. But I think his biggest thing is just running the team. And, you know, Indiana has Xavier Johnson, who who does fine and has done very well. Um, But like in the Arizona game, when he gets in foul trouble, you know, Indiana doesn't really have somebody else to to put out there who's a true point guard. Um, You know, asking – Asking, you know, Trey Galloway and some of those other guys to to, to handle Kirk Arissa, not fair. They're they're just not that not ready to handle, you know, one of the nation's top point guards. Um, Jalen Hutchfino is so it, it's just a, it's a critical position, um, and uh, you know the fact that Indiana does have two point guards is one of the things that you know is one of the reasons they're a top fifteen team in the country, um, and that's 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 a really important piece. Jeff, talking about the Jayhawks, Bill Self's team, is there something that you think IU matches up well with and also maybe something that can give them problems? Um, well, I mean, there's a lot of things that could give them problems. Um, you know, I had a chance to watch them in person when they were here here in Indy earlier in the year. And, you know, certainly Jalen Wilson's scoring ability out there uh, on the wing as a driver at six foot eight. <clears throat> Excuse me, that that's that that's that's a problem. Uh Kevin McCuller, you know, is, is certainly another helpful guy at six foot six. Uh Grady Dick's shot making yeah. as, as a three point shooter at six foot eight is tremendous. Uh he he was a guy I got to see quite a bit last year on the prep school circuit. He played at Sunrise Christian, which plays on the same circuit as Montverde, which includes uh the two IU freshmen, Jalen Hutchfino and Malik Renault. And and Grady Dick at six to eight, I mean, he knows how to hunt shots. And he knows how to make shots. He, he is 
in, for my money, might be the best freshman three-point shooter in the country. And, and I think it was up there, take class off the table. You know, he, he's certainly one of the more dangerous guys. Um, so I think they've got a lot of weapons, you know, out there on the perimeter. Um, I, I don't know that they have really a great matchup on the interior for Trace Jackson Davis. And, uh, you know, Bill Self even talked about that a little bit yesterday, that they kind of got one guy, KJ Adams, who's around six foot seven or so, uh, who's, who's defended somebody like Trace Jackson Davis, uh, who's a little taller, a little longer, but has unbelievable quickness. Um, and, and I think if, you know, if Indiana can get the ball to Trace in spots where he can maximize his quickness, that's something that IU might be able to use an advantage. Now, they can't just stick him on the block and leave him there like they did against Arizona. Um, you can't ask him to just overpower people because that's not his game. And, and it actually takes away from his quickness, that second jump that he has, things like that. But if Indiana can get him the ball and get a little bit of space for him uh, and move the ball well enough to where they can't double him all the time, you know, like Rutgers did. Um, well, Rutgers tripled him at some time, at some points during that game. But if you can create some space for Trace, he might be able to have an advantage in that game. Jeff, what were your biggest takeaways? I know it's hard to to fully analyze it without Hood Shafino out there, but uh, they've talked a lot about the backcourt bench and the utilization of Tamar Bates and Trey Galloway uh, just in general over the course of this season. Arizona's a very fast-paced team. How did you feel overall in relief with extended minutes that Bates and Galloway did, and how is that something that uh, can build towards stronger performances down the line, uh, even in a game against Kansas tomorrow? Yeah, I mean, I think Tamar Bates is a guy who's who's starting to come on a little bit. You know, you, you look at his last couple games, um, you know, he, he's starting to make threes. His last two games, he's six for 11 from three. Uh, that That's certainly the, something that really helps Indiana. You know, he had 19 points against Nebraska. He had 13 points uh, against Arizona. Um, you know, he, he's a he's a pretty good athlete. He's right at six five, six six or so. So he he's got the frame to where if if his offense comes along, you know, he he can certainly be a really helpful player uh, for Indiana moving forward. I think he's probably one of the guys a lot of people still look at and say if he starts to move toward not his ceiling, he's not going to hit his ceiling as a sophomore. But if he starts really taking steps forward, consistent steps, you know, he, he's a guy who kind of changes IU's trajectory. Um, you know, with, with Galloway, uh, he, he had a terrific game at Nebraska. You know, goes out there, gets a career-high 20 points, goes four for six from three. He's really good when he's on the wing um, as a facilitator, a ball mover, and, and, it, and his shot making has really improved. Um, if, if he's out there and he can make some threes, that really helps IU because he's one of the players – and a lot of IU opponents look at and say, well, we're not really scared of him beyond the arc. Um, so sometimes when he's out there, when other teams basically leave him, it's an extra guy that defenses can bring into the paint to just create congestion in the paint, make it harder for Trace Jackson Davis to work to even get the ball, much less do something when he does get the ball. But but if Galloway's out there, you know, moving the ball like he did last year, um, I do think now that he's he, he looks healthy, not only is he playing, but he looks healthy, you know, his his last four games after coming back in, in minutes played, you know, 23, 30, 27, and 22, that, that, that's pretty good. So I think he's, I think he's a wing that, that certainly can help IU. And, you know, he, he's a very engaged defender. He's a very smart defender. He knows how to position himself well to challenge what an opponent is trying to do on the wing. So Trey Galloway is definitely another one of those players that can, you know, be a helpful guy for Indiana moving forward. 
Jeff Rabjohn's with us on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Jeff, just your general thoughts on the Indiana schedule this year, because early on in the campaign, Mike Woodson talked about how they wanted to formulate the schedule like it was comparable to the NCAA tournament. Have they done that? And just your thoughts on the Blue Bloods that have all popped up on the schedule this year. Well, I think it's a schedule that makes a lot of sense for an Indiana team that has the talent that they have. Um, you know, you, you when you, when you have a talented team, you want to throw them into the fire a little bit in November and December. Uh, playing a road game at Xavier, you know, I was over there for that game, and the building was packed. Xavier people were really into it. It was a little hostile, and hey, that's what you want your kids to have to face. Um, North Carolina has had its struggles, but still talking about a team that has, you know, Armando Baycott, Caleb Love, R.J. Davis, all those other guys. Still a very talented team. And they're a challenge with the fact that they're going to play at their speed no matter what. Up 10, down 10, doesn't matter. It's pedal to the metal with Carolina. And you have to deal with two really talented guards who know how to play at speed. That's a good challenge. And then obviously, you know, these these uh, the third and fourth of IU's marquee games, Arizona and Kansas, Oh, terrific teams. I, I think both Arizona and Kansas are teams you look at and say, that's a Final Four caliber basketball team. Um, certainly Arizona, with, with seeing them up close. And, and they have some unbelievable power uh, inside with, with their front court. Um, I mean, it, it was funny kind of looking at them, you know, uh, you know with Omar Ballo. I think they list him at seven foot 260, and we were all like, how much are they cheating down on what he weighs? <laughs> 15 pounds, 20, 25? I mean, I would bet you more than a couple of quarters if you put that kid on a scale right before that game tipped off. It's 280. It, it's it's got to be 280. And it might be more than 280. Um, but he's he is a horse, and he is really hard to move. And then obviously with Cabela's and, and Carissa and all those guys, they, they, they have really talented, skilled players who know how to score. I mean, you look at what they did in Maui. I think it was 101 points, 81 points, and 87 points. Uh, against three good teams, two teams that you know are national top twenty teams, so Indiana's putting itself in position to have some real challenging games um, before it gets into the to the heart of the Big Ten on, on January fifth, and I think that's good. Um, and I also think it makes sense for Indiana um, from this standpoint. You know, IU is still a name brand school. They haven't had the success the last few years that they normally had. Everybody understands that. But they're still a name-brand program, and TV wants them. TV wants Indiana. TV wants to help facilitate marquee matchups. And if you have a situation where TV wants to put your program in marquee time slots, um, in, in games like in Vegas, in games like Saturday noon versus Kansas from Fog Island Fieldhouse, I think you take advantage of those situations. So I, I, think, I think it's a really good non-conference schedule for this Indiana team. Jeff, to Brendan's point about the way the schedule was set up, obviously when the game goes final tomorrow, there's no tournament bids being handed out, and I also understand that the expectations for Coach Woodson and company is not just simply make the tournament, but a win at the Fog would be massive towards getting an early signature win and building the resume. Uh, if IU is going to be able to do that, and assuming as Coach Self talked glowingly about Trace Jackson Davis earlier this week, they try to limit him. Where's the biggest difference maker for Indiana to come out of the Fog with a victory? Um, if it's not Trace Jackson Davis, uh, I think it's going to have to be uh, one of the guys who can make threes. 
you know, Miller Cop or somebody like that. Um, because with the way Bill Self usually defends, uh, he, he's really good at creating congestion in the paint. But occasionally to create that congestion in the paint, he, he, he will, I don't want to say give you some threes, but, you know, they may be helping off some spots where if you move the ball well and move it quickly, you can get some shots. You know, I think, uh, you know, the last couple of games, Indiana's gotten 25 three-pointers up. I think Indiana needs to stay in the mindset of needing to get points from the arc and not just becoming 100% dependent on post-scoring from Trace Jackson Davis. Yeah, Trace is great. Preseason All-American. A- absolutely. You know, everything Bill Self said about why Trace is real difficult to guard is 100% true. But I think for IU to sort of move toward approaching its ceiling or just a game plan that maximizes the potential, I think they got to stay in the mindset of, you know, more than 23-point attempts per game. It makes an offense more efficient. It gives you more places on the court where you can score. And it simply keeps you from being 100% dependent upon post-scoring, which is not necessarily the most efficient offense, and especially here in 2022. Jeff, along the same wavelength, if Indiana is able to pick up a win tomorrow at Allen Fieldhouse, what would have been the last biggest road win for Indiana that comes to your mind besides possibly the one tomorrow? Um, wow. Last real, real big road win. Um, uh, probably Romeo's year when they went up to Michigan state. I think Michigan state was top 10 in the country and Indiana was having all kinds of problems and they went up there and just, you know, shocked everybody. Now that would probably be the biggest, that I can think of off the top of my head, true road win. Um, you know, they've, they've had some good neutral site wins, but uh, I would say, yeah, Romeo's year, knocking off uh, top 10 Michigan State uh, up there in East Lansing, probably the one that comes to mind first. Jeff Rabjohns from Peags.com with us on his ride to Allen Fieldhouse. Jeff, enjoy things tomorrow, and we'll see what the Hoosiers can do. Absolutely. And before I go, by the way, just uh, shout out to Brian Newbert. Uh, Purdue beat writer. Uh, he announced that he's having uh, brain surgery. So I think a lot of people in the basketball world know Brian Newbert. So just shout out to Noob. Uh, all the best moving forward. But hope he does. Hope he's comes through well. And I uh, just want to let everybody know, let Noob know, we're all thinking about him. Absolutely. Thanks, Jeff. Take care, bud. Jeff Rabjohns with us on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. For all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. That was awesome. Big shout-out to Jeff Rabjohns for Brian. And, of course, now we are all thinking of him indeed. Brendan King, Jimmy Cook, and Eddie Garrison with you on the fan. Coming up top of the hour, 2 o'clock, Kevin Bowen will join us. He'll give us the Colts side. We heard from Alec Lewis, the athletic beat writer for the Vikings at 1. Now KB will preview things tomorrow at 1 o'clock. By the way, tomorrow... It's going to be a big two-screen day, Jimmy. You're going to need a screen for the Hoosiers. You're going to need a screen for the Colts. And probably going to need a screen, too, for college football. Yeah, I was going to throw that in there if you didn't. We're going to have to have a third screen up for bowl season ongoing. It is a massive sports weekend in every aspect. And, BK, it's going to be a blast. I can't wait. This is something where this is the type of weekend where you just got to be in Vegas and go to, like, the Westgate Sportsbook just with the mirage of TVs that you see over there. It's unreal. Uh, We'll come back. Chat more next. 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Alongside... 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm the King. I am Jimmy Cook. Thanks for hanging with us on the fan on a Friday here in the drivehuber.com studios. You'd find all of our conversations on 1075thefan.com and on the Fan Midday Show, wherever you get your podcast by searching for that. Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. BK, we didn't talk about this a ton yesterday because it happened on the fly during the show. Uh, I know that JMV, which by the way, happy birthday to John today. Uh, I know that he's getting ready for his show, but either way, I want to pass some love his way. But I know he talked about this. He talked about it with Chappie regarding... Reading tea leaves and Jim Merce's comments yesterday uh, to his uh, media scrum that he had uh, in his golf cart and mentioned that in regards to the next head coach, the Colts, said he thinks Jeff's a candidate, but quote, there's a lot of candidates out there. I think there's a lot of great candidates in college. I think the pool needs to be broadened somewhat more. There's some great college coaches that might be capable. There's some unknown coaches that might be capable, close quotes. I would say Jeff Saturday, uh, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, was an unknown candidate. Any reading of the tea leaves on your end of where the Colts owner's mindset is at with his potential coaching process? Or have you, like I, accepted the fact that, yeah, you can't really read anything to what Jim Irsay says? Does unknown candidate mean you come from high school? <laughs> I mean, is that... Uh, Does that mean you and me we, can throw we, our hat in the rings? Yeah, we saw some pretty good coaches at the IHSAA State Finals. I we thought did. you meant ESPN there for a second. Yeah, no, I think if Jeff Saturday gets the full-time job, they should just bring the entire get-up crew. Get Dan Orlovsky the, the, in Yeah, Dan Orlovsky is the quarterback's coach. Mina Kimes can be the offensive coordinator. Mike Greenberg's the new GM. You would get, uh, who else is on that show? Stephen A. Smith, defensive coordinator. Ryan Absolutely. Clark, you mean? Ryan Clark would be the safeties coach. Uh, get Stephen A as the defensive coordinator. Swagoo. Get Rex Ryan. Actually, I think Rex Ryan should be your offensive line coach. Um, let's see who else is on that show, Eddie. Marcus Spears, Swagoo. Uh, defensive line coach. Who's the linebackers coach? I would make um, Rob Nikovich. Okay, that that works out. We just need a we got our safeties coach. Well, actually, no, Ryan Clark would just be a defensive backs coach. I think we got a coaching staff, boys. So no, we just did you that for Jim Mercy in what five minutes? Yeah. <laughs> so so no, you're not taking anything that Jim Mercy no, says. No, with, I'm not. No, with, with any weight. To answer your question, but <laughs> Mike Greenberg as an NFL GM would be hilarious. Yeah, because he he Mike Greenberg would explain every take and every move. But it would be a, a, a two hour long press conference because every answer would be twenty minutes. Yeah, long. I would I would be there for the pressers. <laughs> I would I would I would be there for the it's pressers like, and I don't envy who has to cut up. Somebody asks him like, Hey, uh, you know, is Matt Ryan gonna be your starting quarterback? He goes, I'll tell you after thirty seconds after this word from Indeed or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> so true. Uh, our conversation with Alec Lewis earlier today. Well, last thing I asked him going away was Vikings minus three and a half. We all here at the fan have picked the Vikings over the Colts tomorrow. Uh, does a beat writer that covers the team change your mind at all on your score or your confidence level with the three and a half favoring the Vikings, given the fact that he said it's it's just right in terms of where that line is? With all due respect, no, because... It, it just feels weird tomorrow. It just feels a little weird, and I just get this little inkling in my stomach that that hook is going to hurt a lot of people. Yeah. Vegas knows all. Yeah, they Ve- do. Vegas knows all, and if they say three and a half, 
That's going to be a field goal game. To your point, you mentioned when the Vikings lost to the Lions, you and I kind of had a back and forth in regards to you said good teams take care of business in those games. They do. Particularly divisional games. They do. I would also argue that against bad competition, even though some teams do end up playing down to their competition over the course of a full uh, 17-game, 18-game season, 17-game season, where does your philosophy on that rule with the Colts? Is this a game that where the Vikings should take care of business unlike they did against Detroit well they better or else they'll be put in a group with the Las Vegas Raiders as the only team to lose to Jeff Saturday yeah and and this Colts current regime remember that good times great times great times hey I mean if you wanted a little kick in the behind (laughs) Colts fans got it yeah what win first week of Saturday congratulations um do we still have congratulations I don't, I don't know for I don't know how much for, but with <laughs> congratulations, you, you, thank you. Um, for that aspect though of where the Colts operate and can pull off a victory, I agree with you. For the Vikings, you need to swat them away and move on to your next matchup. If you want to be looked at as a Super Bowl juggernaut, you got to win. Because nothing, if you're nothing will stir up back the national conversation of this team isn't legit uh, than giving the Colts their fifth win. Oh, and, and people would rail on Kirk Cousins if he loses yep. at 1 o'clock on a Saturday uh, when everybody's watching him. <laughs> when everybody's They're, watching usually, him. See, Kirk Cousins can usually hide during 1 o'clock games. Yep. Not tomorrow. Not on Saturday. That's Brendan King. I am Jimmy Cook. Kevin Bowen of the fan. We'll get his thoughts on that line on if there's optimism for a Colts victory and more after this on The Fan. Final hour. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. On a Friday, Brendan King, Jimmy Cook, and Eddie Garrison. There is a little wintry mix on the circle right now, boys. It's supposed to be five degrees. Ugh. It is supposed to be five degrees in Indianapolis next Friday. Don't I have a whole week until I have to have to have that on my radar? Why well, you gotta break my heart now? Well, I would argue it, in the winter, th- this like forty degree crap in the winter, it just feels gross. It all feels gross, man. Yeah, I I would rather just may, maybe it's the. Maybe it's in the Chicago windy yeah. city in me. I'd rather just be miserable instead of just stop teasing me. With, just bring it on just already. Just bring it on. Yeah. Anyway, six degrees in Indianapolis next Friday with a minus six low. That is something that the Colts will not have to worry about tomorrow because they will be indoors at U.S. Bank Stadium. Not the same case if you're a Buffalo Bills fan. There's nine inches of snow. On the way. They haven't in moved Buffalo. that game to Detroit yet? That hasn't happened yet? I don't believe so. Okay. All right. uh, Kevin Bowen's joining us on the fan on the Mower Shop Hotline. Kev, appreciate the time. Hey, tomorrow is going to be an all-time like dad sports day for you if you got to take care of Max because you're going to need like three TVs going. you got the Colts, you got IU, you got bowl games. I mean, that's a great dad day for you, brother. It certainly is. Um, I am a little bummed. I don't know how you feel, Brendan. I feel like you, you probably feel a similar sentiment as me. I am a little disappointed we don't have the Crossroads Classic, though, anymore. Mm. I, I was yeah. always yeah. Just such a fan of tomorrow, the downtown, the four fan bases. You know, again, as you know, Brendan, I'm one of seven Notre Dame basketball fans, and 
the United States of America. So uh, it was never a very strong Notre Dame contingent in there. But, you know, obviously Butler had great success in those games, and I really enjoyed it. So uh, last year we had, you know, Crossroads Classics feeding into Colts Patriots at yeah. night, which was quite the Saturday. Um, but as you said, tomorrow, man, uh, depends on what you want, but you got to be quick as a channel changer, I assume. Kansas IU start things off, and then Colts Vikes at one, and – uh, yeah, what Purdue, there'll probably be a little overlap, right, between Purdue-Davidson and Butler-UConn. So, uh, yeah, it is a great day. And if we get this wintry mix like we've got right now, perfect time to curl up on the couch. The iPad is the critical sixth man in that True. whole operation. That's a good point. You can, That's have, a good point. you can have the TVs going on, but then you got the iPad with like maybe a game that you're only kind of focusing on. It's a, it's a difference maker for sure. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, unfortunately, and and you boys will be there one day. The iPad usually is probably reserved for a little yeah. like Sing One or Sing Two or Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and who am I kidding? That's probably more on the TV. And I'm probably more relegated to sports <laughs> on the iPad. But uh, bedtime will be welcome tomorrow night because, uh, like we said, a little Davidson Purdue, and we'll see if there's some Hinkle magic in there for Butler. Uh, we will see. I will be in the building, Kev, so that should be rather fun tomorrow. All right, let's talk shop in Minnesota tomorrow. Kev, the injury report has been released. Kenny Moore will miss the game, and we were talking yesterday with Matt Taylor, and we were talking about his pregame scout of Justin Jefferson. It, we may see Stephon Gilmore versus Justin Jefferson, but with the way that Minnesota likes to move Jefferson around the offense, it'd be really helpful if the Colts had Kenny Moore, which they will not. Yeah, and I know some Colts fans might laugh at this, but no Brandon Face on either, um, who I do think has had a couple of better moments here as of late. So, you know, you're missing two of your top four corners. Um, as you said, as much as I would love to see the popcorn matchup of Stephon Gilmore versus Justin Jefferson, just not how the Colts have really operated with Gilmore this year. You know, if you move a wide receiver around, particularly putting him in the slot, uh, Gilmore is unlikely to travel. Again, we'll see if they change that up at all, but I'm not expecting them to do too much. So it's a great opportunity for Isaiah Rogers, you know, when he gets those matchups on the other side. And then in the slot, I assume it's going to be Tony Brown, who's really been more of a special teams guy for you this season. Um, so th- this is going to be a very difficult matchup. You know, I would put Minnesota's skill group right up there with just about any in the NFL, certainly the ones the Colts have played this season with T.J. Hawkinson and Adam Thielen and Dalvin Cook, and um, you know it, it's a really dynamic skill group. And it does look like they're going to get a couple of offensive linemen back who have missed in recent weeks, and that I think has been an issue for them, particularly running the football. But Jefferson's a stud; he's arguably the best player in the NFL. Um, thought I saw a stat the other day; he's the first player in NFL history with 1,400 receiving yards in each of his first three seasons. Hmm. Um, so it is darn remarkable what he's done in the league. And, you know, I was talking to Gilmore this week about it. I'm like, you know, what stands out? And I don't know if there's like the one dominant trait, you know, like Calvin Johnson is size, Tyree Kill is speed. With Jefferson, it, it's just, I think there's very few weaknesses. Um, and he just has an incredible ability to um, find the football and, and make contested catches, which we've certainly seen this year. So it'll be quite the challenge coming off that 220-yard game he had last week. KB, if the Colts still had something to play for outside of the 3% chance to make the playoffs, you'd be looking at this 
pass defense for Minnesota and potentially having optimism of, okay, maybe this is an opportunity for Matt Ryan and company to attack a weaker passing attack. Is that being overblown, or is the reality of it that there is a real opportunity for Matt Ryan, however, however many games are left with him as a starter, to shine against Minnesota tomorrow? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, yeah, I'm not holding my breath for all of a sudden Matt Ryan to throw for 350 and three touchdowns right. and, you know, 75% completion percentage, et cetera. Um, but there are some things on paper you point to and think, this is kind of like the Raiders matchup a few weeks ago. Now, again, Minnesota's dysfunction is nowhere near where the Raiders were at that point or, or still are, you could argue, just with their inability to close games. Uh, but Minnesota, I mean, it, it's some ugly numbers. And I'm sure you guys have talked about it all week long of, you know, the five straight of over 400 yards of total offense. Every quarterback in that stretch is thrown for at least 300 besides Dak Prescott. And he was pulled early. Um, and their pass rush has been very quiet as well. And they've got some names along that defensive front that you would expect to get after the quarterback. Now, They've got one of my favorite players from the Notre Dame ranks and Harrison Smith back in the lineup. Yep. I think he's a very key cog in the back end of that defense, getting everybody on the same page. Uh, so, again, on paper, there is a little bit of a get right or you, you should have some chances, but the amount of confidence I have in the Colts passing game right now is, you know, about as much confidence I have winning the 100-meter dash in the next Olympics. It's just it, there's – there's nothing I've seen from this passing offense from a protection standpoint or uh, consistency with Matt Ryan that makes me think they're going to do something. Now, who knows? Did the bye week, did, did that rest help out Matt Ryan? Because I feel like he, he he's playing injured, um, and I think it's causing him to be a little bit gun-shot. Someone made an interesting point earlier in the week comparing Matt Ryan to Phillip Rivers uh, I thought was something I hadn't really heard. You know, when you watch Rivers throw the football – it's obviously a weird motion, and there was that propensity at times to kind of throw off his back foot or, you know, kind of throw some, you know, with some awkward motions, you know, things like that. Basically saying he was used to in his career not having a perfect pocket, and he kind of had to alter things to be as accurate as he was late in his career. With Ryan, I'd say he's played from behind a little bit better offensive lines. And then I'd also argue just from a throwing motion, he's a little bit more of, I need to step into it. And I just see a guy right now that lacks so much confidence in stepping into it. And, again, I understand that. The offensive line has been a big issue. But it feels like when any ounce of that pocket starts to collapse or crumble, then he crumbles. And that's just obviously not a recipe for any sort of success. Kevin Bowen's on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers and commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Kev, if... We're gunning for the reverse curse type of thing. We did it. Everybody on the fan Twitter picked the Vikings to win tomorrow. Any shot in your mind that Jonathan Taylor could have his best rushing day of the year tomorrow? Yeah, I'm going to hold my breath on it. Um, it does seem like, you know, if there is an area where Minnesota has struggled outside of that pass defense, it's their ability to run it. And I don't think they've been a dominant run defense. Again, pass defense has been their bigger issue. Um but I just think the blueprint's out there with Indy. You know, you, you can suffocate those outside receivers because they're not going to do anything down the field unless it's a jump ball to Alex Pierce. And then you can load the box a little bit with Taylor. Um, you know, there are some things on paper that I, I've been looking at this week thinking, okay, why does Vegas have this as a four-point spread? 
because I don't think you know I don't see it. And again, I would think it'd be t- where Minnesota struggled with the past. Uh, Dalvin Cook has really, really been quiet in recent weeks, and that feeds kind of into a cult strength of Grover Stewart and DeForest Buckner controlling the line of scrimmage. Now, like I mentioned earlier, Minnesota is getting a couple offensive linemen back, so I do wonder if that kind of negates itself to be as big of a area of a strength for the Colts. Um, I mean, the Colts offensive line, I guess, is healthy compared to, you know, not having Braden Smith with Dallas, but, um, you know, Taylor, I, I, I just, without the support of a passing game, I just, again, can't sit here and think that all of a sudden you're going to be, you know, 130-yard game where this time last year, again, we talked about it a little bit earlier, Colts Patriots, you know, even with New England low in the box, you know, Taylor was still able to rip off that, that big run late to put that game on ice. It just doesn't seem like that same, you know, potency is there uh, to get those big chunks in the run game. And, you know, when you had the success against the Raiders last month, it was a Raiders team that was really struggling against the run and had a slew of injuries at linebacker. Minnesota is on a short week, but they seem to be in a much better health situation uh, than some other teams that have played against the Colts this season. So, um, you know, Taylor, you're, you're used to being just consistent and reliable with, with a really high number. But, again, I just – I can't sit here and say that, hey, pencil them in for 80 or 90, like I felt like was an absolute lock last season. So, Kevin, in that same vein, I've listened to you and Jake. I've listened to John. I've heard me and BK this week. It's clear tonally where this team is at. We know it. The fan base knows it. They're not going anywhere. We're already posting, rightfully so, who the next head coach might be or potential draft prospects that will be there wherever the Colts end up picking I know everybody in West 56 is playing for jobs. Everybody in the NFL at this time of year is playing for jobs next season if you are not a part of the postseason. With that being said, with Matt Ryan starting and Jeff Saturday being so confident in him, and I know what's he going to say? Oh, no, Matt Ryan stinks, and we're going to, like, he's not going to bash a player, but what is to be gained from Matt Ryan being under center other than? it gives Jeff Saturday his best chance to continue to put together a coaching resume. If that's what he's doing on the fly right now. I would say nothing. Um, I know that's probably, you know, I don't know. Maybe some people would be like, it's kind of a harsh answer. That's what I think. I, mean, I, I don't think it's harsh. Yeah. I, and again, there's multiple reasons why I would say that Jimmy, like, again, I don't think that Matt Ryan is your best option right now. Um, I think he's hurt. And, again, maybe the bye week will help him out. But, like, can Nick Foles not throw the ball from, you know, you to Brendan in practice right now? Um, you know, this is a guy that's getting paid a whole lot of money to not take a single snap for you when you've had the most turnover from the quarterback of anybody in the league this season in Matt Ryan. Uh, and I mentioned this earlier today, and I know San Francisco's kind of been pushed into a corner here. But – you know, San Francisco is getting an answer on a young quarterback on their roster in Brock Purdy right now, whereas the Colts refuse to play Sam Ellinger. Um, and, again, I know it's two starts. The first start I thought was honestly pretty good. The second start looked like a guy that was facing Bill Belichick in his first-ever road start. Um, I'd like to see Ellinger a little bit more to get a clear answer on him with your roster. Um, again, I know that is a little bit more long-term thinking there's the financial component with Ryan of uh, him due. I think it's about $17 million in roster bonuses in 2023. That would become guaranteed if he were to get hurt. That 
would cause for concern with me and throwing him out there as well. Um, so outside of just Jeff Saturday wanting to improve his resume and thinking that Matt Ryan's the best option, there is nothing to be gained. Matt Ryan should not be starting quarterback for this football team next season. Um, that would be a mistake. Um, and honestly, again, I, I don't think he is the best option right now. Like, if you're going to go try and win a football game tomorrow in Minnesota, you need a quarterback on your roster that's going to give you the best chance. I tend to think it might be Nick Foles. But, again, I don't say that with, like, the premium confidence, which is another reminder of just how sad your quarterback situation is and that Matt Ryan might honestly be your best option right now. Again, I don't think he is, but, again, in the Colts' eyes, they believe he is. And, boy, when that dude has the most turnovers of anybody in the NFL, and it's not like he's offsetting those turnovers with gobs of big plays. You know, Jimmy, you certainly can live with a Patrick Mahomes interception during a game because you know he's going to give you two or three plays that no one else in the league is going to give you. Right. Matt Ryan's not, not not doing that. So I just think that's what adds to it. And it's just the harsh reality of the season of if you're going to be bad, don't be old at quarterback. The Colts are bad and they're old at quarterback. And that is just the awful combination recipe in the NFL. If you're going to be bad, if, if you're going to be the Chicago Bears, at least you got Justin Fields. Yeah. At least you're getting him out there and getting his feet wet. And, you know, when the Colts were 3-13 and and Peyton Manning's first year, Peyton was throwing the most picks of any rookie in NFL history. And you know what? He was learning a whole lot, and clearly he benefited from that. The Colts are not getting any of that, and it just seems like such a waste of a season for the Colts, particularly at the quarterback position. You mentioned Ellinger earlier, KB. My thought is, and this is if I'm trusting Jim Irsay and the front office, the fact that he's not number two on the depth chart, the fact that he's you know healthy scratch, whatever you want to call him, means that in their mind they've seen everything they need to with Ellinger. Is that a fair observation? And I, I know maybe you don't agree with, in your mind, that we've seen everything, but do you think they've seen everything that they've needed to see in Ellinger? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I let me make this very clear. By no means do I think Sam Ellinger is a franchise Right, no, I know. I know. Yeah. You know, I, I want to make that really clear. Um, so I understand, you know, reasons why – you might sit there and say, hey, in two games we saw enough. Uh, again, I still think you can find an answer of like, hey, do you think he's a definite backup moving forward? And that would be a nice question to be answered to where you don't have to pay Nick Foles the amount of money you're paying him or Matt Ryan the amount of money that you are paying him. Uh, I guess to answer your question, I don't think that is their rationale. I think Jeff Saturday is living in the very much of I need to win football games right here and right now and Jeff Saturday is going to sign with the veteran guys at that position. I think that is exactly what his thought process is in having Matt Ryan as the number one and having Nick Foles as the number two. Um, you know, when they benched, when they wanted to bench Matt Ryan earlier in the year, a.k.a. Jim Irsay, um, he felt like Sam Ellinger gave them the best shot in the short term. Um, so that obviously is a stark contrast for how, how Jeff Saturday views the situation right here and right now. You know, I just think – with six and seventh round quarterbacks, I don't know how much it necessarily applies, but I think such an issue that teams have with young quarterbacks, they're afraid to put them into games. They're afraid to see what might happen. And I've said this quite often, but there, I mean, there's no position in sports that differs more from practice in a game than NFL quarterback. I mean, you guys go to training camp. I mean, if a player were to sniff that line at training camp, 
that dude would get like kicked out of practice for getting too close to the quarterback. The quarterback literally wears a different color jersey. And so with Brock Purdy, you don't know what you have until you put him out there. And I think with Ellinger, again, it was two games. Uh, it, by no means was it like, here are the keys to the franchise. But it wasn't also, this dude should never play another snap in the NFL. Um, I would throw him out there just to get a clear answer, similar to what you're doing with Bernard Ryman at left tackle. You know, Ryman playing him, it gives you a great evaluation at a critically important spot. And if Bernard Ryman, who I think has had some better moments as of late, if he ends the season well and you get to the end of the year and you sit there in your room and, you know, Chris Bauer, whoever the decision makers are, say, hey, we think Bernard Ryman's the left tackle of the future. And the Colts are right on that. That is a huge, huge part of this rebuild not taking as long as on paper right now it looks like it could take. Kev, you've alluded to him a couple times, what happened on Thursday Night Football last night with Purdy. Is that is seeing him succeed a little bit more frustrating, you think, for Chris Ballard and the Colts regime that you've had all these problems at quarterback? And to be fair, Brock Purdy and the Niners, they got more weapons than the Roman Empire for him to throw to and <laughs> give the ball to, and the Colts don't. But is right. it frustrating more for the Colts regime that literally – the last pick in the NFL draft is going out there and having success when the Colts just can't find an answer repeatedly. Yeah, th- th- there is probably some truth to that, BK. Um, I, great analogy, by the way. I um, felt like I was back with Jake there on the Roman em- Empire. You're um, welcome. Uh, analogy there. And again, you know, it's not like even at Debo Samuel with him last night, but yet George Kittle and Christian McCaffrey can still do that, and they've got a hell of a defense. And the Colts would be very wise to pursue D'Amico Ryan's in the head coaching search this offseason based off what he continues to do with that 49ers defense. I'll go here with you on that one. I don't know if Purdy would frustrate me as much as somebody's playing golf right now. I mean, what are we doing? I'm sorry, I'm driving by a golf course. I'm like, you know, I love golf more than the next person, but boy, you've got to really embrace the game to be out there. There is no offseason, Kev. You know that. No offseason. Yeah. I feel like Happy Gilmore in the in the uh, batting cage getting ready there 365 <laughs> days out of the year. I would say the most frustrating aspect to quarterback in the Colts right now is this. You look at the AFC standings, and I don't have them in front of me, but I believe this is correct. I think you have nine teams right now that are above 500 in the AFC. Nine of the 16 teams. All nine of them drafted their quarterback but Tennessee. Tennessee's the one team that did not. So eight of the nine drafted their guy. All nine of those quarterbacks were taken in round one, and I believe eight of the nine were chosen in the top half of round one. I think Lamar Jackson is the only one that was not. And, again, this is me going with Zach Wilson, who I think has started the majority of games for the Jets. Obviously, you get a little finicky with that one. But basically what I'm getting at with all of that is, it's a clear and most obvious path to try and find long-term success in the NFL, and the Colts have refused to go down that path under Chris Ballard. That is what would frustrate me the most. Uh, Jim Irsay has been very public with comments, and I know a lot of people laugh at these comments, saying, you know, I want multiple Lombardi trophies in a, in a decade. And, you know, for a team that hasn't won a division title since 2014, I understand why people laugh a little bit at it. But you know what? That's what Jim Irsay wants. And as a Colts fan, I would nod my head and say, yeah, that that should be the goal. And the best chance to try and 
get to that goal is by having a quarterback that you've identified in the draft, have taken early, and you've grown with that QB and built around that that quarterback. So to me, that would be a little bit more frustrating than Mr. Irrelevant, you know, doing what he's doing. Because again, I think San Francisco has supported Brock Purdy certainly much better than the Colts have supported whoever they've put under center. But I think the more frustrating aspect to me is the Colts have that does not create the best opportunity for them to win uh, in the short term, but more more importantly, I think in the long term as well when it's pretty obvious in the AFC what is winning. KB, I discussed this on the pod with you earlier this week and how I felt that Brock Purdy was more successful in the position he's in right now because of the pieces around him also having success because I think that San Francisco offense is a system play. Uh, But when I was watching that game last night, I noticed two things. One, offensively, the 49ers have a lot of speed with their skill position players. Number two, the San Francisco defense is really fast. And number three, when you watch the Colts, they lack speed. I think there's a lot of truth to that, um, particularly, I think, on the offensive side of the ball. You know, how many times, and, and you're watching San Francisco with Devo and Kittle and McCaffrey and even Brandon Ayuk, you know, when those guys touch the football, defenses get scared. There's not one player on the Colts roster outside of maybe Jonathan Taylor that when they touch the football, I think a defense is scared. You know, think of yards after catch. How minimal has the, have the Colts been in creating those sorts of chances? And this goes back several years. Again, outside of Taylor, you know, Naeem Hines didn't tap into much of that. I mean, Campbell's had a play or two, but even when Campbell was healthy in his first few seasons, we've never seen that 4-3, 40-yard dash speed um, to, to the full effect. I mean, Michael Pittman on a crosser here or there, but again, guys that break tackles, guys that make you miss in the open field. I mean, I think back to Sunday night football against the Cowboys. If you were to like freeze frame CD Lamb's catches right at the catch point, like right when he caught the football, you would have never thought CD Lamb had the type of night that he did in making those plays with the ball in his hands. Yet he did that. And a lot of it is post-catch and breaking tackles and making guys miss in the open field. Um, you know, when I watch San Francisco a lot, I see that. And I just see, in general, more offensive creativity. I, I love watching San Francisco play because I see formations, motions, um, just general offensive, again, uniqueness, I guess, that I don't feel from the Colts. And I know they've simplified things big time with Parks Frazier, an offensive coordinator, but I even felt that way earlier in the year of, Um, It's just a team that lacks some dynamic playmaking, and I thought some dynamic creativity as well. Kev, I think I asked Chaff this earlier in the week, and again, maybe I'm just reading too much into this, but it felt like that Jeff Saturday is mentioning the best chance to win and Matt Ryan having him under center. Let's say they lose and they're out of playoff contention after this weekend. I think the Titans still have to beat the Chargers. Who knows if that happens, but to officially knock them out. But if that finally puts the nail in the coffin on this season, let's say for the sake of argument, the Colts go in a different direction at quarterback, whether it's Foles or whether it's Ellinger. Does that frustrate you more, less, or indifferent that they aren't already starting now when barring this team taking a massive transformation that hasn't been seen over the course of this 14-game season at this point, uh, they're, they're, they're not going to the playoffs. 
Yeah, I will be curious, you know, if and when they get mathematically eliminated. And like you said, I think it's pretty much Colts lost, Titans win. I think one of those wild card teams would need to win as well. Jets, Patriots, Chargers, one of those teams. Um, you know, do they make a move at quarterback? And honestly, do they just play any of the other young guys? Like, you know, I'd like to see more Jelani Woods. I'd like to see a little bit of Nick Cross again. Uh, what about Dallas Flowers playing some corner now that you're a little banged up there? I don't know. Maybe Flowers will be involved tomorrow. That you're a little banged up a corner. They drafted a couple defensive tackles, and we barely – we haven't seen Curtis Brooks at all out of Cincinnati. Uh, Eric Johnson was the other one out of Missouri State. Maybe we see a little bit of them. So, outside of quarterback, those would be some other positions and just young guys I'd be curious. I'm not holding my breath they would do that uh, because, again, Jeff Saturday's focus is much, much different than I think big picture organizationally. You know, if they were to go to Ellinger, you know, it probably would frustrate me just a little bit because I do think there was a missed opportunity in getting that true, true evaluation. And, again, I want to fully acknowledge, by no means did I think Ellinger – it's not like Ellinger was a second-round pick that you've sat on the bench. I mean, he was pick number 200-whatever he was for a reason. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there would be a little bit of like, man, you continue to run Matt Ryan out there when the playoff percentage chances were – single digits for like three straight weeks and yet you know once it's officially zero that's when you decide to make the switch Uh, so that would add a little bit of frustration with that Uh, but again I'm not I know it's been weird decision making you know for those in the organization particularly the highest of the high within that organization but I, I just I'll believe it when I see it that they would do that it just it doesn't strike me as anything Saturday would would want to entertain again like why isn't ellinger at least the backup if that was your thought process at all um it just doesn't even seem like that's that's really on saturday's radar kev last thing i know a lot of frustrated cubs fans right now that the cubs have not spent uh are you a frustrated reds fan i think i'm an apathetic reds fan man agreed Um, you know which is just sorry and and i know it's a loser mentality and i hate saying that out loud, but it, it's just not even like I walked into it thinking, oh, man, I can't wait for the Reds to make a bunch of moves. And it's going to be a fun, you know, week or two. Like, like the, the, That thought never even crossed my mind. So it'll be the glorified Louisville Bats playing, you know, at Great American Ballpark next season, and it'll be another year that by Easter time I'll be like, oh, man, the Reds are already out of it. Well, you've got Mr. 162 million Carlos Rodon sitting to my left right here, so he's uh, he's a lot happier than us. Uh, appreciate the time, yeah, Kev. Have, have a good weekend. That, that is quite the staff uh, there in Yankee Stadium. Hey, bring some Hinkle magic tomorrow night, BK. You got it, brother. Let's get a dub. All right, man. You guys have a great weekend. See you, Kev. That's Kevin Bowen on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com. For all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools, I mean, you could watch the Louisville Bats maybe within two two hours of each other in two different places at once. You could watch the Louisville Bats in Indianapolis, and you can watch the Louisville Bats in Cincinnati. You know, I, I thought Easter was a little uh, lenient there and a little beneficial toward the Reds fans of give them that much hope that they would still be in playoff contention by that point in the season. Don't worry. They'll still find a way to sweep the Cubs in like June. Uh, <laughs> Brendan King, Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison. Coming back, we'll talk some Pacers. Pacers at the Cavs tonight at 7. That's on the fan. 93.5 and 107.5 the fan. Welcome back to the fan. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. And alongside Brendan King, I'm Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison behind the ones and twos, taking you in to the weekend. Tip of the cap, congratulations to 2022 Mr. Football. Drake Bowen out of Andrean. Woo! Yeah. Command center claps. Indeed. Go Irish. I mean, you did uh, ask Tom Lemming about Drake Bowen yesterday. Tom spent some time with Drake. Oh, that was about a week and a half ago. So, you know, I had a chance to interview Drake at IHSAA Football Media Day. I believe we both went to that. And, uh, you know, it was towards the end of the day. Drake was kind of just hanging out. I said, hey, man, let's, let's let's have a little chat. And he was, everything is advertised, complete professional and you can bet that at Notre Dame, he is going to join the high ranks of all the great Notre Dame linebackers over the year. You know, Drew Tranquil, Manti Teo. I mean, Drake Bowen, he's going to join that club. And he's going to be a hell of a player for Marcus Freeman. I don't know how soon, because there could be some time to take when you first get to Notre Dame. That's sure. a lot to take in. But he is as big as advertised, looks as strong as advertised, and he's going to be a violent tackler. I can't wait to watch him, Jimmy. Yeah, I didn't do uh, one-on-ones like you did, but we were doing a conversation with the coaching staff, and as you would expect, just plenty of praise to be heaped on uh, by Coach Chris Skinner and company over at Andrean. Um, I thought you phrased it best. It was as good as advertised, uh, even though Andrean didn't come out on top with the state title. They obviously won it last year. Uh, in high school, you often see players that are able to play on both sides but how effective they do it is a, is a case-by-case basis he was outstanding on both even though he's going to uh, Notre Dame as a linebacker and uh, won the Buckus award as a linebacker his ability as a running back was was sensational at this level and I'm looking forward to following his journey up at South Bend I mean did you I'm sure you knew his semi-state performance stat line I do I don't have it I'm, ba- I'm bad 350 that, yeah. yards on the ground five touchdowns yep. in yep. semi-state 350 yards, five touchdowns. And, and that's one thing when you see it, because he, he had big games like that over the course of the season, but to have a stat line like that in semi-state, I mean, you just, you just tip your cap. You're like, wow, that's absolutely outstanding. Is that good? <laughs> that's all right. Well, you could bet that maybe instead of a QB sneak next year, Marcus Freeman's just like, hey, Drake, goal line. There you go. Let's go. Why not? Why not? I mean, uh, that would be creative and a little bit different for sure, but... I think I'd feel a lot better of having him as like a fullback and just a quick handoff at the goal line, wouldn't you? I mean, you see it a ton at the NFL level. You have packages that are based. If you're not feeling the QB sneak, maybe you have a tight end out there. Or sometimes if you're going big, big, heavy, maybe you're you're, you're giving it. Um, you've seen defensive tackles. You've seen all kinds of uh, non-offensive position players get action. Yeah, I'm not arguing that. Totally, for sure. Just saw a mock draft on Twitter when it comes to the NFL, and the graphic is Bryce Young in a Texans jersey, and that is very much FOMO of Bryce Young in a Texans jersey, not in a Colts jersey. That looks a little spooky. It's me feeling bad for Bryce Young. I, I would feel bad for Bryce Young, <laughs> but I'd also feel bad for the Colts in five years dealing with him and Trevor yeah, Lawrence four times a year. I mean, you and I have talked about that, and Colts fans are well aware of it, right? The, the trend amongst the division right now at least in terms of quarterback Malik Willis is he the future for Tennessee I don't know but but Ryan Tannehill is is at the very least consistent Uh, Trevor Lawrence has had a massive sophomore campaign and then you add the idea of another young talent in Houston Uh, I will say though 
They had Deshaun Watson. And again, I know that that <laughs> taking the off field of stuff away for just a second, I think it's important to talk about that. But in this particular instance, my point is they had a top tier talent. They ended up trading away. The Texans have a long history of missing out or picking the wrong guy in situations like that. Who's to even say they wind up taking Bryce Young? But either knows, way, I agree. You but, hate to see it in your division of. Oh, seeing him photoshopped in the Texans jersey just gave me the ick. It was, oh, man, that's tough. That is tough if that happens. I know you mentioned tonight we got Pacers and Cavs. I know in our next segment we're going to hand out some bets, but we're looking for different barometers for a number of different players on this Pacers roster, but in particular for me, Benedict Matherin, the impact that he's able to make as the sixth man, sixth man of the year candidate. I would like to see another massive big game. He, I, I'm all for the the confidence. I, people quote his LeBron quote all the time uh, about how LeBron has to prove to him, you know, uh, what happens on the floor. I'm paraphrasing there poorly. I apologize. I don't have the quote in front of me. But my point is, this is a Cavs team that is leading the division. That is thought to be with Donovan Mitchell there a uh, true contender for the Larry O'Brien Trophy this year. Big road game. They swept you last year. I'd like to see a massive game from Benedict Mather in the night. Well, Cleveland listed as fully healthy, no injured players. Of course, Chris Duarte still out with that ankle problem. Then Kendall Brown had his injury pop up just a few days ago. So, Jimmy, you got a fully loaded Cleveland Cavaliers team. Donovan Mitchell in the Cavs, Karis LeVert on that roster, Miles Turner versus Jarrett Allen in the post. Uh, this was, I, f- who, I forgot who we asked this question to because we've had many Pacers guests on in the last week or so. It might have been Chris Denary of, I've really liked Miles and how he has matched up against other star setters. I think he's been better at that this year than others. I totally agree. And not always is a test with Jared Allen, but I have some West Coast bias because I covered the Adidas gauntlet for so long in their AAU series. But Evan Mobley has been the best, one of the best products to come out of that side of the country. And when you look at the different rotational bigs that Cleveland has, you mentioned Jared Allen, uh, Kevin Love, what he's been able to do is averaging right around just short of double figures uh, in points per game, rebounds about nine and six respectively. Mobley shooting 55%, averaging 15 points. Jared Allen's having blocks and crashing the glass up to 27 points a game. This is a, a as big a test in terms of a three-headed monster of bigs that the Pacers are going to have, and I'm I'm excited to see how Turner and the Pacers as a whole operate against them, not just Donovan Mitchell. What do you got, Eddie? I'm just interested to see the matchup on how Rick Carlisle rolls out the starting five. He had been starting Aaron Neesmith there and moved Jalen Smith to the bench, and now you're going to see a bigger Cavs team. They start Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, like Jimmy just mentioned. So does Jalen Smith make a reappearance in the starting five to match the size between Mobley and Allen. If not, then I think Evan Mobley may have a bit of a uh, advantageous matchup tonight because of Aaron Neesmith being a little bit smaller. So that's something that I'm looking forward to monitoring as the uh, as the game progress or gets underway. And I just want to give a quick note here: the Miami Redhawks UAB game. We had been updating uh, you on twenty four twenty UAB. But want to give a shout out: Decatur Central High School graduate uh, Kenny Tracy with the touchdown that gave the Redhawks a twenty seventeen lead. Woo! Yeah, but now UAB's ahead. Decatur. My album honor. You know, it, that, that's one part about coming here for college is I, I don't have any allegiance to your all high school, so I could just root for any of you guys at the same time. It's great. You got that uh, yeah. unbiased badge. You're able to just yeah, it's fantastic. You travel know, that, around. That's and the best part all. about doing Indiana sports talk. You know, coach. You know, when 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 Franklin loses, he's always a little bit 
It's always a little bit down, but I I, I could root for anybody. You yeah, I'm, I'm happy for everybody. It's fantastic being on an adopted Hoosier. I'm great. happy for you that uh, you're happy for everybody. I, I'm happy for myself <laughs> that I'm happy for everybody, too. When we come back, we're going to have some bets to close out the week. Some final thoughts on Colts Vikings. If there's any shift by either Brendan, I or Eddie with the three and a half that's there. And maybe if anybody's interested or I'll just do it myself, give a prediction for the World Cup final on Sunday. Apparently France, they got everybody sick, apparently. I've heard that? they were worried about the flu. Yes, so yeah. that, that's something to, to, to continue oh to monitor oh boy. as things unfold. Of course, Indy Classic tomorrow as well. Talk a little bit about that. IU Kansas, bets and more after this. Jimmy Cook and Brendan King here on The Fan. Eddie ending the week with some vibes. BK, Jay Cook, E. Garrison. Long day for Eddie in studio. You got Pacers later, eh? Yes, sir, I do. Not as long as yesterday. Massively long day you yesterday. Yeah. The, you got to turn the mic on. Yeah, there. okay, all right. Okay. You going to bet something today? Me? Yeah. Well, Jimmy stole one of mine, so I'll find something here. What do you got, Jimmy? The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day, we're going to take the Denver Nuggets, turn of the money line against the Los Angeles Lakers. Also going to take Donovan Mitchell. Over 27.5 total points versus the Pacers. And to close the night, Benedict Matherin. Over 15.5 total points <laughs> against the Cavaliers. Or, or, okay. or, as I like to call it, BK, that's a little eggs Benny over easy is what's happening tonight. Oh! Okay. The Pacers. Okay. Do you want to follow up? You want to I go? do. The okay. one that you stole out of that was the Mitchell over 27.5. I was on Donovan Mitchell because the Pacers have struggled against two guards, but... I will raise your glass, okay. and I will take the under on Donovan Mitchell on Benedict Matherin. Okay, wow! All right, is that legal for you to do? Is He's you're the producer too. of the Pacers Radio Network. <laughs> no comments. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what, boys. Hey, you have anything, BK? By the way, yeah. Yesterday was my first winless day on the show, so that's not bad. That was five straight days of at least one win. Beautiful. The hockey, the hockey giveth, the hockey taketh away, but for the most part, a lot of giveth. We're going to get back on it, and with the Colts already in the hockey state tonight, we're going to go up to the state of hockey. Blackhawks and the Wild, that's at 8 o'clock tonight. You get some juice on this. Patrick Kane, over, under, three and a half shots on goal. Give me the over for 88 in white tonight. I don't know if Patty Kane's going to score, but I think the Hawks will get their opportunities against a young Minnesota team that does take some penalties. So I think the Hawks will get some power plays and Patty Kane will get some looks over three and a half shots on goal. Uh, I'm sprinkling this because it is a high risk move, but it also is high reward. And, and especially on this one, please play responsibly with all of our bets. Um, the Jay Cook special. My dad went to Butler. I went to Indiana. I was raised with Butler and Indiana in terms of basketball fandom. And so the reversible gonna, jersey. So we're breaking out the reversible jersey. If and one does the exist. <laughs> with honor, I, I don't I don't have one of those. But Butler over UConn on the money line and IU over Kansas on the money line. $5 to win you 60 plus uh, 1100 right now. 
that's what I'm going with in terms of the college basketball ranks. Any other bets for you gentlemen or any other picks or prognostications? Actually, $63 plus $1160 for you this college basketball weekend. I do. Not college basketball. Or whatever. whatever. I do have another one for tonight that I did not get to. Joel Embiid. I am taking over 40, uh, 45 and a half points, rebounds, and assists. That's on the PRA. Uh, they are facing Golden State, and as the Pacer fans and NBA fans know that center defense for Golden State, not very good. They are without Draymond Green tonight, which makes me love this a little bit more. Um, He's 11 of 19 on the year, and as of late, he has been an absolute machine on the glass and scoring the basketball. I have zero idea if this is going to hit, nor do I care. Give me the over in the Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl presented by Stifle. Love it. Washington State, Fresno State, I just looked it up, 52 I'm not scared. <laughs> Jimmy I, Kimmel, go all over. I, he, would, he would appreciate the over. Uh, another bet I'm rolling out here. We're going to call it the Indy Special Gosh, with the Indy Classic powered by Sports Tech HQ at Cambridge Fieldhouse. You're going to want to go out and be a part of that. The latest basketball marquee events take place here in the state of Indiana. Ball State against Illinois State. Purdue against Davidson. Give me the in-state special. Do a little parlay of Ball State and Purdue matched up in that one. Uh, Indy Sports Corp doing a tremendous job over there organizing the Indy Classic and another fun December event in the world of college hoops. And then for the World Cup on Sunday, haven't decided who's going to win that matchup yet, but I did do a nice Mbappe and Messi anytime goal scorer parlay, uh, same game parlay. Have that action for you as well on Twitter at the J. Cook. Uh, yesterday, John gave away tickets to see Janet Jackson. He'll be doing that again today. And Brody, if you are listening, and Steve or Steven, if you're listening, please give us a quick call back. I accidentally lost your contact info, so you will not be able to receive those tickets as of right now. So if you're listening, uh, Brody or Steve or Steven, please call us 239-1070. That's a heck of a way to shout somebody out. It is. It's like if I got on here after I went on spring break in Lauderdale, my senior year. It's like, hey, if I met you on the beach in Fort Lauderdale. This isn't a target. I just, I just want to make sure that these two please, lucky please callers call from yesterday me. get their tickets. This isn't a target, man. Attention shoppers, if you left your car, it's a Hyundai Elantra. <laughs> to the owner of the white on. sedan, you left your lights on and the MS. 30 seconds. Oh, I do have 30. Yes. Colts, have, Vikes. Uh, final thoughts. Uh, Vikings 2014. It? Okay, I went 30 to 21. I went laying the 24 20 Vikings. That is Eddie Garrison, Brendan King to my right. Special thanks to Adam Rittenberg, Alec Lewis, Jeff Rabjohns, Kevin Bowen, the YouTube chat, everybody for listening this week. We appreciate you as always. We said it at the top of the show as well. Happy birthday to JMV. He is rolling with you next. Keep it right here all weekend on the fan.